You're listening to the Live Free Now podcast, bringing you the news, views, tips, and tools you can use to live a free, prosperous, and healthy life. Find us online at livefreenow.show. And now your host, John Bush. From January 25th to the 29th, journalists, activists, researchers, and advocates are hosting the Greater Reset Activation, a five-day event dedicated to offering an alternative to the World Economic Forum's top-down, centralized, authoritarian vision. Our desire is to help all people find community and liberty by providing practical steps and knowledge for co-creating a world that respects individual liberty, bodily autonomy, and choice. The Greater Reset is the world's collective response to the World Economic Forum's initiative, The Great Reset. We invite you to join us for five days of discussion about the diverse opportunities available for those who seek to live in harmony with humanity and the planet, while respecting our innate freedom. Each day is dedicated to a different domain and provides solutions to the WEF's vision. Day one is dedicated to the Agora and decentralized economics. Tuesday the 26th will focus on health and education. Day three will focus on nature, permaculture, and regenerative agriculture. Thursday the 28th will highlight the liberating side of digital technology, including encryption, blockchain, and decentralized autonomous organizations. On Friday, January 29th, we will end the event by showcasing examples of intentional communities, freedom cells, and community organizing. Don't miss out on this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to hear from some of the most powerful speakers in the world with a focus on solutions. We encourage everyone to organize local watch parties in your area using freedomcells.org. Also, find out more about the Greater Getaway in-person event in Zihuatanejo, Mexico. Visit thegreaterreset.org for more information. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome. How are you? Hey, Derek. How you doing down there in Mexico? Hey, it's good, it's good to be here for day two of the Greater Reset Activation. I'm back here in Zihuatanejo, Mexico, John, and we've got another big crowd gathering. How are you doing in, in Austin? I'm good. I think I got, I'm got. i an army of one over here. You, you had 100 people down there yesterday, huh? Yeah, we've had some good numbers, and we've got a crowd that's forming now, so I think it's going to go well. And I do want to say to those who are tuned in, just shout out to everybody who has been listening from different parts of the world. We have all of the live videos uploaded. We've been telling everybody that they can go to our social media channels, they can go to library, they can go to float, and BitChute's not working at the moment, but we are loading all of our archive videos. Everything yesterday from James Corbett, from Charles Eisenstein has been posted on float and been posted on library slash odyssey, which is linked at our website, thegreaterreset.org. And uh, yeah, I mean, I just want to say, John, that for me, it was pretty epic. Yesterday was a good start. What I hope is going to be a continuation with today. We got some really strong speakers that we're going to share today, and I'm happy to be a part of this. Yeah, I was really stoked about yesterday. It went really smooth and just the magnitude of what it is that we're doing. We are seemingly up against some pretty serious odds. Of course, the Greater Reset is a response to the World Economic Forum's Great Reset. They're meeting virtually right now. They usually meet in Davos, Switzerland. These are the oligarchs, heads of industry, tax-exempt foundations, media personalities, global leaders, and they all seem to have one thing in common. That's a very strong desire to control other people and to control life on Earth, essentially. 
And on the flip side, what we are hoping to propose here, what we are sharing with you guys is some ideas and insights and strategies and solutions. So we don't have to be passive players in the game of life. We can create a more ideal world that values our individual autonomy, our our choice and our individual liberty, and we're going to do it together collectively. And that's essentially what the Greater Reset is all about. Today, we're going to be talking about health and education. With this COVID stuff going on, there's a big spotlight and focus on health. And unfortunately, it seems like there's a lot of people that believe the way to good health is through pharmaceutical intervention or through vaccines. Well, we want to present some ideas today surrounding the importance of natural health, of having a harmonious relationship with your body, avoiding toxins, eating organic food, exercising, avoiding stress. We're also going to talk about education. Of course, future generations are critically important to the success of humankind. And there's some government indoctrination centers called public schools that are really have a firm grasp on the minds of the youth of this entire world. And so we want to present some alternative ideas, unschooling, homeschooling, um, inculcating our children with the philosophy of freedom and self-ownership so they can grow into their own unique individuals. We have a lot of excellent speakers we're going to hear from today, and we're super, super excited to be bringing you this program. Hey, John, I want to add to that real quick. Uh, actually, we do have one of our speakers, another speaker here, NZ Watanejo, with me, Miss Lainey Liberty. For those who don't know, she's here in person. And... She's going to be speaking about world schooling and parenting and, and a lot of interesting topics. So I hope everybody will, will, will share and listen on, the, on that topic, as well as we have Dr. Dolores Cahill that so many people are excited about and just another good set of speakers. So I'm going to go ahead and pass it back to you, John, and let us get to our first speaker. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in from all across the globe. I'm super excited to be introducing this next speaker. I interviewed her on my podcast recently, and she really helped me to understand a very firm grasp on how the Great Reset is being rolled out. Of course, the theme for the Greater Reset is solutions and steps that we can take in our lives individually and collectively to find more freedom. But we'd like to start off the program talking a little bit more about the problem. And again, we like to understand the problem, not so we can freak out or so we can post about it on social media, but so we can understand it, so we can better strategize on how we can avoid the technocracy, avoid the tyranny, how we can insulate ourselves. And Julianne's going to share with us some pretty sinister, very diabolical stuff that these oligarchs, tax-exempt foundations, technocrats are rolling out in her hometown, her city of Tulsa, where she was a professor at Tulsa University, and she started to realize there's some funny buzzwords going on. And when she dug a little bit deeper, just like Rosa Corey did, she saw some problems in her community with this big development. But when you dig a little bit deeper beneath the surface, you find the specter of globalism and international institutions um, trying to control more people through centralization and technology. So without further ado, we're going to bring Julianne Romanello onto the scene, and she's going to share with us some of her insights on, on what's going down with the Great Reset. Yeah, thanks, John, and welcome, everybody. I'm so glad to be participating in this event. It's really an honor. Um, thanks to Derek and John and everybody who has had a hand in putting this together. So I'm Julianne Romanello, and like John said, I used to be a teacher at the University of Tulsa here in T Tulsa, Oklahoma. I taught 
political philosophy and an honors program. When I was a teacher at the University of Tulsa in 2019, with the university announced a restructure. So I did start to dig because we, the University of Tulsa is a private liberal arts college with a large endowment. And it did not make sense to me why uh, a great university was moving into a model that looked more like practical education and did not, it did not seem to be concerned, the administration did not seem to be concerned with giving students a, a, a well-rounded liberal arts degree, um, liberal arts education with a core in Western civilization or other civilizations, the humanities, um, even, you know, some of the, the, the science programs like math and physics, the PhDs and those uh, areas were chopped, and and no respectable university should not have uh, no respectable university should not have a PhD program in uh, math and physics. So I was just curious, like why why would this be happening? And I started to dig. And it turns out that the university board was, uh, it had been stacked. And I'll show you a, a slide or two here. Um, we had, let me get to this first one. There we go. Can you see that? Um, corporate wolves and academic sheepskins, or a billionaire's raid on the University of Tulsa. So this. Right here is George Kaiser. He's in front of the Gathering Place, which is a big park that he built here in Tulsa. And, you know, you can look up this article. It's, it's national, um, printed in the nation, and you can read how our board was stacked. You know, that was disturbing to me because Kaiser, I knew that he was invested in programs like Educare, which is early childhood, uh, I knew that he had significant influence on the Foundation for Tulsa Public Schools, uh, which provides most of the funding that our, our state is unable to supply because of reasons of austerity and other things, things that are going to be worsened by COVID-19. And I think that that is um, by design. So, um, <laughs> so anyway, we have... We have a billionaire who had stacked the board, and that seemed strange to me. And we also have uh, the liberal arts being uh, gutted. And another thing that was going on was we were transitioning to a model that here I'm going to show you our, our strategic plan, like building the foundation for a great story and a greater commitment at the University of Tulsa. Uh, you'll see it begins jobs as central to life. Now, that is not something that that I think, uh, you know, someone concerned with academic formation and scholarship and learning should be promoting. It's certainly not the University of Tulsa. I'm actually, an, I did my undergrad at the University of Tulsa and 
it was not about um, finding a job for me. I mean, that's important, but, um, you know, I think that a love of learning and learning to be an independent thinker, responsible citizen, uh, that should be the purpose of a university education. So, uh, you know, we're moving to jobs as central to life. And then I'm going to show you uh, how we have the fourth civil rights. Oh. <laughs> the fourth civil rights movement and just civil and justice in everything we do. This was, you know, John, you mentioned the indoctrination of that's going on in the universities. This is it. Um, the civil rights movement and justice and everything we do. Now, it, in saying that, you know, it might sound reactionary or something on my part, but when you dig deeper into the words that they use um, and the aims that they have for civil rights, it gets pretty ugly, um, but we'll get to that. So, Anyway, you can see here, this is a little markup that I did. Um, the, this justifies the reason for the restructure at the university. We're moving into the knowledge economy. And look, it says uh, we, can we can stay the same for our country and staying competitive as other nations rapidly advance the technological information, digital computer energy, uh, and artificial intelligence sciences. Now, like I said, I was a philosophy major, and uh, and I taught philosophy. I studied political science. My PhD is in political philosophy from Baylor, and so these are not my areas: artificial intelligence, digital transformation, all of that. But I've read enough in the Western tradition. I've read enough uh, Russian novels to know that it's dangerous to be talking about these types of things, systems engineering, at the same time that you're, uh, you're effectively gutting um, the disciplines that really teach you to reflect subtly on the ethics of using those kinds of technologies. So this, this stood out to me. Then, uh, and I'm sure that the audience will, uh, will be familiar with this term, the fourth industrial revolution in innovation in everything we do. Okay, so this is my university strategic plan, my former universities, and they are citing, we are citing the fourth industrial revolution and innovation. And you can see, and I, I sort of sloppily here wrote WEF, World Economic Forum, uh, because this line right here um, this passage from my university strategic plan is like straight out of a promotional video from the World Economic Forum. And it says the fourth industrial revolution is where technologies are fused. The lines are blurred between physical, digital, biological sciences and AI. Um, and it goes on. We're talking about our administration was talking about recruiting first generation students about these complex social, global, ethical problems, global economy, and, and so on. So you can see if you look uh, at, at any university in the US, uh, they are changing their strategic plans 
to mimic this model. Usually there are, you know, four steps and it's social justice, which is going to mean social impact programs, which means social engineering, especially of poor children. Um, and you're going to have a, like global citizens and empowerment and resilience, which we keep hearing about with COVID. So uh, I will sort of skip through some of these slides. I added a lot, but you can see right here, I'll just highlight this in, you know, our University of Tulsa was using China as a model. Uh, in energy-rich Far West China, the new city of Karamei has few buildings less than 10 years old. It's a model city for the future. And it goes on to talk about some of these different areas that would that are going to be uh, popular in the workforce in the fourth industrial revolution. And these happen to be related to the workforce development plan for Oklahoma, which is where I am. We have manufacturing, information sciences and technology, healthcare, neuroscience, and then this one is really creepy, precision medicine, individual DNA mapping, bioinformatics, com computational biology that will allow clinicians to predict disease before it occurs. Then we have uh, down here like growth of drones and autonomous flying vehicles, and it just sounds, I mean, it sounds like a dystopia. So we have, uh, tri oops, Triumph of the City. You can, I'll, I'll make this, these uh, screenshots available for your viewers later on. Um, as I started to dig, I found that uh, most of this workforce development was tied to the innovation model, uh, Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act. It was passed in 2014. And this is a plan uh, that was signed. Uh, it was designed to, uh, you can see up at the top here, it was designed to help job seekers access employment, education, training, and support need in, uh, to succeed in the labor market and to match employers with skilled workers that they need to uh, compete in the global economy, which, you know, I just listened to some guys from Goldman Sachs talk about how COVID has really uh, made, it's put small businesses out and it has taught us, you know, I think that they have forced it on us. It's taught us that you have to be a very specialized global player to, you know, be resilient in a, in an economy that's going to be hit with these threats like, uh, like pandemics and stuff from here on out. So we, we are, this is, this is federal legislation that is trying to create global workers because we're going to be facing in the 21st century many global threats, okay? So, um, so that is the act. Here are some highlights. It requires, this federal act requires states to strategically align workforce development programs. Um, it it uh, it's going to uh, comp it's going to coordinate these programs so that job seekers acquire skills and credentials that meet employers' needs. Now, you know you could read that and not really think that that 
meant anything bad. But especially when I'm going to talk about social impact finance and human capital uh, investing, and we're going to see that uh, these credentialing requirements and looking at employers' needs and skills tracking, um, it, it gets nefarious very quickly. So education is going to be totally focused uh, on meeting the workforce needs of employers. Now that extends from pre-K all the way to the university level or what they're calling now post-secondary. So, you know, I started by looking at this billionaire who took over <laughs> the University of Tulsa. And one thing that I had noticed was that he was investing in Educare, this preschool program similar to Head Start. Uh, Warren Buffett, Gates, I think, are also in, investing in Educare. So lots of billionaires getting into those preschool uh, children. Um, and I knew that that Kaiser was invested in our public schools and now, you know, in the University of Tulsa. And I would come to find out he's invested in our major state universities, too. So you have this setting up of the P20 pipeline uh, or cradle to career pipeline. And and the purpose of that pipeline, it, they, the educational system is to meet the workforce needs of employers. Now, what kinds of employers are they? They are uh, the leaders of the industries that are selected um, through regional boards, regional workforce development boards and state associations um, to basically pick the areas, the industry sectors that every region in the country is going to is going to have. And, you know, if you don't fit, if your business, if your enterprise does not fit into that workforce development plan, there's not going to be a place for you, especially, you know, especially after the great reset after COVID, because I would argue that COVID is about controlling supply chains of not only goods and services, but really, um, all human endeavors. So they want an educational program that is going to feed into these industry sectors that have been selected, not by uh, representative government or popularly uh, accountable institutions, but rather by the chambers of commerce and business roundtables and stuff. So anyway, we're looking at uh, promoting accountability and transparency. Um, and then you see these buzzwords, evidence-based, data-driven, accountable to participants and taxpayers. That sounds good because we think, oh, government's not wasting money and we're gonna have some feedback data on our effectiveness. Well, when we're talking about measuring human capital profiles, that is the skills that each individual who's gone through the educational system has. Um, well, then it gets it gets ugly. Okay, so uh, we're going to see that there are going to be lots of measurement, measurable skills gains. We want to know what you know, how you know it, and um, and what it's worth economically for your regional uh, your regional industries. So you know, lots of teachers who were talking about Common Core way back way back before I even knew anything about this. I mean, I'm 
pretty new to this truther crowd, you know? I mean, I was totally naive up until two years ago. Um, but those teachers who were talking about Common Core and were worried about it, they were right. They were right, all of them. <laughs> so anyway, we are seeing established common performance accountability system for core programs, um, regional collaboration. Now we know, especially from Rosa Corey's talk yesterday, that anything regional, that has to do with the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Um, it is it is about moving away from our constitutional system and into something else that is a technocracy. It's managed by algorithms and bankers and speculators. Okay, so let me see. We're going to, this Workforce GPS, that is a program that supports the Workforce Innovation Opportunity Act. And you can see that it says an integrated workforce system encourages partners to develop and share a common vision. So they are, what are they talking about? Integrated workforce system. They're talking about data tracking, track and trace, everything. And I would argue that, you know, the reason why we're seeing this huge push for vaccines and contact tracing is it's primarily about the surveillance and the human capital uh, credit scoring, social credit scoring. Um, we have to, we want an integrated workforce system. That means, I mean, that is a holistic, real-time monitoring of what the people are capable of doing. And when we look at these, at ESG investing uh, targets, then we'll see that your social and reputational capital is very important. So, you know, we want to track and trace every human interaction to make sure that you're hanging out with the right people and, and doing the right things. And if you don't do that, you won't be able to work, you know. Uh, so it says we want to align investments uh, in workforce education and economic development to regional and demand jobs, okay? And then I have here, I added this collective impact strategy. In your region, you probably have a collective impact group. Here in Tulsa, it's called Impact Tulsa. <laughs> and they are a, uh, like a franchise, so to speak, of Strive Together, which is... Um, it's based in Ohio, and it has ties to like Procter and Gamble, um, Knowledge Works, and what they're doing uh, is they are facilitating these integrated data sharing, uh, integrated systems, and data sharing agreements among state agencies, uh, NGOs, and nonprofits for the purpose of what? Really getting a complete picture of who uh, each person is that is served by some uh, mission-oriented mission group. So since I'm looking at education, Impact Tulsa is focused on education and they're trying to deliver a, a whole person, that's the best word, a whole person education, 
which is going to not only provide, well, education used to be, you know, it used to give you content, like, but now it's focused on personality development. So this, the the educational collective impact group is going to focus on making sure that you have been um, moralized correctly and trained to be a good 21st century uh, global citizen. And it's also going to bring in things like healthcare and uh, job uh, apprenticeships and and whether or not you've been involved with the criminal justice system, it's going to look at your parents, it's going to look at all sorts of, of needs that are served by um, public service institutions. And, and it's going to, you know, in the end, if, uh, it's going to use the resources of all of those different service providers to shape you and form you into the kind of person that's going to be best for uh, post-COVID business, great reset business. Okay, so I'm going to try to move on, and, and this is a complicated subject uh, that I'm going to try to do very quickly, so I probably won't do it well, but I would refer everyone to my dear friend Allison McDowell's website. It's uh, gears.com. And she is, I would say, the expert on social impact finance. I learned a lot from her. She came to Tulsa to give a talk. Um, and she, it was through her research that I was able to discover what was going on with our educational system and then all of this AI and fourth industrial revolution. And, and I thought, why, how are these things uh, related? And it was all in that term impact. Impact is a key term, and if you see it, watch out. And I try not to use it, but it's, it's the, you know, when I'm talking about something. But it's thrown around in our conversation so frequently that it's hard to avoid the term, but I do try. Okay, so what Allison discovered was a model for social impact financing. It's called the pay-for-success model. Now, what this is, is performance-based contracts. So just like the corporate world, it's basically transferring that corporate model onto the social services sector of of our uh, society. So in education, this means that if your public school system doesn't have enough uh, tax revenue to support itself, to pay for the the budget, then you're going to have NGOs, foundations, and and it's the George Kaiser Family Foundation here and others. He's not the only one. We have several. Uh, They're going to come in, they're going to step in, and they will offer to fund the upfront costs of providing some social service. And they will make a contract with the government to provide that or to fund it, and usually to have someone else like uh, deliver the service. So for we have the investor who's going to pay the upfront cost uh, directly to some kind of intermediary or delivery agency. Uh, oh, well, this is going to actually, I'm sorry, I'm looking for my cursor here. This is 
you know, this is the person who's going to disperse the money and sort of uh, be a go-between between the investor and then the service providers. And we have a, a pay-for-success contract in Tulsa. It's Women in Recovery, which is administered through Family and Children's Services, a, an NGO here. And um, and the, the private investor pays Family and Children's Services uh, the upfront costs. And if they, if Family and Children's Services delivers on a set of uh, previously agreed upon metrics, then the state, who is a party to this pay for success contract, will reimburse uh, the funder for the upfront cost. And now, sometimes there is a, a financial benefit, like a success payment that the that the investor, the private investor, will receive. Um, that's not really what's important. What's important is the access to the data. Because since these are performance-based contracts, the investor wants to make sure that he or she is going to get uh, a return on his investment. He wants to. He has an interest in making sure that the impact me- impact metrics are met, and so they're going to have oversight and access to all of this data. Now, this happens in education. It's going to happen in community policing. It's going to happen in healthcare. And uh, what it does is it just, we are really setting up a market for human behavioral outcomes. And let me, I'm going to just go forward here and try to show you a little bit how this works. And I'll clarify a few things at the end. Okay. So pay for success is at the intersection intersection of impact investing, which we're going to see the World Economic Forum at their meeting in Davos right now. And they came out with a web page and it says, well, now is the time to transition to a new economy. It's the impact economy. So they are totally, you know, they're they're totally open with this now. Uh, it says we need to build, you know, you've heard the slogan, build back better. Well, what does that mean? It means that we're going to take this stakeholder capitalism approach, which tries to situate business and markets into a social context and do well financially by doing good. That is creating certain social impacts that are desirable. Now, those impacts are, um, they're roughly tied to the UN SDGs. And I've got this pay for success model here. Um, I'm going to skip ahead because I think we're running a little bit um, short on time. I should check my web-connected phone here. Oh, okay, good. I've got a few more minutes than my watch. Um, so SIBs are social impact bonds, and that is it's. This was a financial mechanism that was developed around 2010 by all of the guys who were at Davos, okay, Ronald Cohen, all your big bankers in London, they came up with this uh, new financial mechanism called uh, social impact bonds. And it's, you can see all of these buzzwords that are here. This is basically a pay for success contract. Um, We want to uh, fund, we want to enable collaboration. That's your alignment, your regional development. 
Um, we want to integrate services. Um, we don't want them to be fragmented. We want them to be integrated, seamless, frictionless. We want to deliver results and create room to innovate through programs that are uh, they're justified as not costing the taxpayer unless certain results are achieved. Well, that's a, a little slip of the tongue, but that's how they justify it. And then this is a big one, um, prevention. So <clears throat> social impact bonds are designed to enable invest to save dual running of services with social investors funding upstream interventions. This is a preventative risk uh, management model or um, uh, it, we are trying to mitigate risk, stop it before it starts. And we do that by looking at data, profiling people, and we gain all that data through the, these social services like education. Okay, you can, I've got some really scary slides <laughs> that have to do with the Global Futures Agenda. I'm going to skip some of these, but um, let me get to, these are, um, some predictions for things. Okay, this is again 20 this is from 2014 Global Education Futures we have Internet of Things is going to be monitoring your healthy lifestyle, keep track in real time. Um so when we look at COVID, uh what are we doing? We're signing up for contact tracing, we're signing up for vaccines that are going to enter you into a database. We're talking about wearable technology. I mean, I think the masks are getting us ready for some kind of wearable technology. And all of that data is going to go to your insurance companies so that they can do what? Monitor risk. It's going to go to employers and the state. And this is where people really ought to pay attention. Um, it's going these The data uh, is going to be used to set up a system of economic incentives that will lead people to adopt a healthy lifestyle. So let's say these are systems of reputational capital, okay? Um, all of the data that you're, we're providing through uh, distance learning, which that's gonna be permanent because they want, they've always wanted kids on a screen. Remote work, they want to monitor workers and it's all surveilled. If it's online, it's surveilled. If it's web-based, app-based, it's surveilled. And that's going to contribute to reputational capital, okay? Um, and it's justified. The data harvest is justified because of this new funding mechanism, the pay-for-success contracts, which will be necessary because Davos has bankrupted our governments, okay? Um, you can see reputational capital assessment systems. Every action is going to be tracked, continuous cross-assessment complete reputation indicators, um, and then this is really big, okay? Integration, integrated reputation capital models may have a significant impact on our abilities to learn and build a career. Um, reputational capital is one of the significant investments, while education and career decisions take into account the expected influence of the level of reputational capital. Okay, reputational currencies are going to determine people's access to resources. So that is geofencing right there. If you don't have a, 
an appropriate social credit score, you will lose access to privileges. Now, um, impact investing, which uses pay for success contracts, performance-based or results-based um, contracts between the government and private uh, service providers, those are going to basically like they're going to become a, a security and asset to which can be a, attached a derivatives market. So you can bet on the success of a certain pay for success program actually meeting its impact metrics and uh, and the and, and the funder being paid back. Okay, so our corporate investors and all the big banks are involved in this. All the insurance companies, all the hedge funds are transitioning to uh, impact investing. They are going to be able to bet on human behavioral outcomes of these pay for success contracts, and they can short sell you. Okay, so just think of the uh, look at this. They even tell you about it. Um, the the crash, the financial crash of 2008, the mortgage crash. Well, that was driven by people short selling mortgage mortgage uh, securities, right? And now they're going to do it with human behavioral outcomes. So, um, look, if this is from a, a an academic book on the fourth industrial revolution, and you're going to see education uh, is as we've normally thought of it is is only one necessary condition. You have to have reputation capital. Um, we are going to be competing against robots. And you see robots don't demand pay raises. They don't go on strike. They don't have anything um, that is particularly frustrating that humans have. So you are going to have to have a, a perfect social credit score to compete with the robots. And that's what our educational system is going to do to you. Um, so here's Davos where it says how re results-based financing can help improve education, health, and employment. If you look here, um, the author of this little article is Cliff Pryor, who is the CEO for Global Steering Group for Impact Investing. We're going to, this is the new economic model. It is moving to impact investing, performance-based contracts, impact investors, results-based financing programs. Uh, this bottom box is crucial. Uh, the principle sets financial or other incentives for an agent to deliver predefined outputs and outcomes uh, and rewards the achievement of these results upon verification. When we have wearable technology and the internet of things all around us, we all live in smart cities, we're gonna have smart contracts that monitor our behavior in order to gain the uh, impact measurements, performance measurements for for uh, these pay for success contracts. So it's very, it's nefarious. I think I'm probably out of time, but let me just leave you with a gloomy thought. Um, that is that the fourth industrial revolution is designed to decimate uh, the middle classes. So. That is a very gloomy thought, but the hope is that there are many things that we can do organizing in your local community to 
pressure your city councilors, to pressure your school board, to take on your local philanthropic investors. And then I would say, pull out of the school systems. If we can cause their collapse before they cause ours, we will be so ahead of the game. And, and we can do that. People can say, I'm not going to go to college to become a coder and a social justice warrior. Um, I'm not going to go to learn how I can just do some job, a malleable job, until the robots take over. So we can do that if we understand the dynamic. And there's tons of information and research out there. Um, so I just want to thank you guys for bearing with me, especially my technical difficulties. Um, and just say, I'm on Facebook. You can get in touch with me and ask questions. and and I'm happy to clarify any of this for you. Thanks so much. Wow, thank you so much, Julianne. That was, it's just the the deep level of research that you've done, I think is really valuable for the folks that are working to really understand the mechanics of what's taking place. There's all these abstract concepts that we kind of get lost in sometimes, but really when you can bring together the nuts and bolts of how this is getting rolled out, I think it's very elucidating um, and helps us understand the problem that we're facing. So thank you so much for your presentation and for joining us at The Greater Reset. You're welcome, John. Thanks for having me. All right, folks. Okay, well, that was a great, a great talk by Julianne Romanello. And we want to thank you for tuning in. There's still so much more to come. And we got a lot of great speakers today. So be sure you stick around and invite your friends. All right, welcome back to the Greater Reset Activation. I'm still in Zihuatanejo. Everybody who's here, make some noise for those watching at home. And, and we appreciate everybody who is, who is tuned in and watching around the world, everybody who's hosting watch parties. Uh, if, you, if you didn't hear me say earlier, we did already lay, load up all of yesterday's talks onto our float channel and to our library slash odyssey. If you guys haven't heard of those platforms, I encourage you to stick around. On Thursday, we're going to have the CEOs of uh, library slash odyssey and the CEOs of float.app. Both of them are alternative social media uh, systems that do not censor people, that allow you to do all the things you like to do on other platforms. And you can find all of our content, all of our talks are going to be loaded there. So they are up there. If you missed yesterday, if you want to get any of them, you can download them for free, share them with your friends, and get that out there. So we're going to move forward now, and I want to introduce our next guest, who is the, the next speaker who's actually here in person in Mexico. Uh, I recently got to connect with her, and I'm really excited to have her share with you guys, because today, you know, Julian covered, I really hope you guys will go back and watch her speech, because it's a lot of information, just like some of the talks yesterday. They take a couple times to digest. And the information she's covering of how the Great Reset and this technocracy is getting into the school systems and really working on the local level to build this kind of bigger machine is very, very important. And she gets into the nuts and bolts of it. Our next speaker is going to sort of talk about what it's like to live in opposition to that is the way I would see it. Like as a parent, as uh, I think a friend more to her children and as somebody who herself is just living free. So please give a round of applause for Lainey Liberty.
Perfect. Hi, everybody. How's volumes good? How is everybody? I am so excited to be here in person. This is really an incredible event, and I want to acknowledge everybody's courage who's here in person and who's watching online. So thank you for allowing me and inviting me to be a part of this. So, <laughs> and that applause is for you, all of you, <laughs> not just you. All right, guys. So um, my talk is entitled Creating a Family Culture of Consent, right? So before we talk about consent, I'm actually going to first really have to unpack the idea of sovereignty because sovereignty and consent are clearly tied to each other. And it's very difficult to give consent if there's not, if you're not in a state of sovereignty. So I'm going to address sovereignty first in three domains. And before I get into this, I just want to say to you that if you are not a parent, um, it's okay. We are all somebody's children and we are all in interpersonal relationships and we are all concerned about community moving forward. So even though the content of what I'm gonna talk to you about today is framed within the framework of families, which is what I'm passionate about, you can apply these you know, guidelines or ideas to wherever you are in your journey. So anyway, let's get back to sovereignty. Sovereignty really exists in three domains. And the first domain is sovereignty of self, right? And we pretty much understand what it means to be sovereign of self, or do we? So sovereignty over self we think of as body, right? And, and I know a lot of the speakers are going to be talking about the health issues and having the ability to decide about what happens with one's body. But I'm going to ask you to consider that sovereignty over thought is a big part of the picture. And a lot of us don't even address what that means. So that is the first part. And I'm going to come back to that because that really is the most important. But the second domain is sovereignty within relationships. And the third is sovereignty within the domain of systems, right? But let's head on back to sovereignty over self for a second. What does it mean to have sovereignty over thought? Well, first of all, we must consider that most of us are functioning in reaction mode, right? We are a victim of our programming to say. Sometimes, uh, some of us have, and I'm sure most of the people here watching have considered or have done the work to recognize when they are in reaction mode and apply response to that. But let's unpack that just a little bit. So when we are in reaction mode, we are running patterns. And those patterns of thinking come from our programming. And the majority of us here, I'm looking around the room, are from Western countries. And so we were born into a system of colonialism, 
right? And, and as we know, colonialism is violent. And that kind of, of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? That kind of system is something that becomes normalized in our thinking. We also uh, were born into systems where there are governments, there are laws, um, there are worldviews based on our families place of origin. There are worldviews based on our religious beliefs. There are also worldviews based on where we come from. Need some water. Sorry. Sorry. Anyway. So understanding that all of these worldviews creates a, a system of pattern thinking, right? So any time that these patterns are running within ourselves, we actually don't have sovereignty of thought. That's, that's not happening, right? Because we're a victim to the manner in which we're thinking, we're not claiming sovereignty. So that's where the work needs to be done in terms of sovereignty over self. And the other thing that I would like to mention is that within the realm of colonialism, we are living generations of oppression, right? Um, some of us come from families where it's very common uh, to be within a, an authoritarian paradigm. And because that's the manner in which our brain was formed and our thought patterns were developed, and if we're not questioning that, we are more likely to acquiesce when authority says jump. We are more likely to obey. We are more likely to be obedient. And again, this is sort of the foundation of sovereignty of thought. Okay, I'm going to move on from there. Sovereignty within relationships deals with honoring one's sovereignty and our children's sovereignty or our partner's sovereignty or the sovereignty of the people within our community. So where does my, my autonomy, my agency end and where does yours begin? And that really becomes an important distinction, especially as parents when we're raising our children, yeah? And finally, sovereignty within systems. So a lot of the talks here at The Greater Reset are of course addressing sovereignty within systems. There are talks about permaculture and land management and ecology and economics. And within this talk, I really won't be touching on that other than when we talk a little bit about education. So understanding that, understanding that the goal in creating a culture of consent, one has to recognize their sovereignty, right? So let's talk a little bit about learning. 
Now, the majority of us have gone through the education system. The majority of us sitting here, I, I would suspect, right? Was anybody here homeschooled? Educated? Ah, <laughs> right. Oh, I met you. Yeah. <laughs> so you're one of the lucky ones. It is our duty not to consent to a system that does not serve us. And if you are not a parent, but you will be a parent in the future, recognize that this is your right and your duty to say no to a system that doesn't work for you. Sorry, I ate something which I shouldn't have eaten, and I'm here in Mexico, and you can understand why I'm so thirsty. So excuse me for that. A little too much information. All right. <laughs> Talking about learning, the majority of us grew up with the idea that it was somebody else's job to educate our children, that education looks like a sage on the stage, that there is scope and sequence involved, and that learning must be measured and tested. Most of us don't question that. And when we start to question these systems, right, we opt out or we start questioning the thoughts that come up, we let go of the pattern thinking, and within the realm of alternative education, we have a word for that. It's called de-schooling, right? And in the rest of the world, we don't really have a name for that other than decompression or unlearning or unschooling. Um, but at least we're lucky in the, the realm of alternative education, we can call it de-schooling. So the moment we start to question what education looks like, it starts to create space or an opening for a consensual relationship between learning and education. And those clearly are two different concepts. And somehow we've been hoodwinked into believing that education is that thing that we're supposed to go out and get, and that thing that we consume, and that thing that will guarantee to give us a better life. So that's why we buy in, right? It's part of our programming. It's part of that thing that we don't question. And it's part of the cultural agreement or the cultural norm. However, there is not consent within that system. There is not. Let's look at it. There is, well, let's see. It's a system where you're told, first of all, where to go. The majority of it's compulsory. Um, you're told what to learn. You're told when to learn it. You're told when to stop learning it. And then you're tested and measured whether or not you learn the thing. And if we unpack learning just a little bit, 
we understand that learning really is the function of this brain, this, this thing that we carry around with us on our shoulders has purpose, right? It learns. And our brains do that just by virtue of being a brain. So then the content tends to be what we call education. And somehow we've given up our consent in saying that I want to have part in what that, what my student or what the learner is learning. Therefore, you're not entering a consensual relationship, right? And if you look at the history, where did, where did this system come from? Well, it was born in the late, in mid-1700s. It's part of the Prussian development, and it's designed to create workers. So it's no doubt that our consent is taken away when we are in relationship with the system. Therefore, it's not a sovereign act, okay? So the second thing that I want to tell you about the brain is that research shows that when you create a safe space to learn, a safe space, free of judgment, free of criticism, and accepting of the unique individuals, the neural system activates. And it's in full force, right? And research shows that when learners are in this environment, they have elevated learning. So it's almost contrary, water, sorry. <laughs> you guys should be doing a bet on how many times I drink water this talk. Sorry about that. <laughs> so if we want to create an optimal space for learners to learn, it's certainly not the system in which we've been given. So I want to talk to you a little bit about relationship and go back to what we call the family culture. So part of the work that I do, um, I am, well, let's see, I'm a writer. Believe it or not, I'm a speaker. <laughs> um, I have traveled around the world with my son and we have been living nomadically for the past 12 and a half years. And my son has not gone to school. He has learned from the world around him. And I'm also an alternative education advocate. Um, I could talk volumes about why school sucks. That's not why I'm here. The other thing that I do is, for the last eight years, I've brought teenagers around the world to live in community in different places and uh, participate in immersive learning experiences called world schooling. Um, my son and I are also 
thought of as or credited as the people that really spearheaded the world schooling movement. And world schooling is using the world around you as a really rich platform to learn. Most of the time it involves experiential learning, social learning, as well as a lot of other stuff, right? What we find in those that participate in world schooling, or if you're not traveling, unschooling, using the same concept, is that learners are focused on the soft skills. They're focused on, first of all, what interests them. They've got these deep dives into what interests them. And it allows them to really focus their learning on what's important to them. So what that means is the intrinsic motivation to learn drives everything that they do intrinsically. Do you know the difference between somebody who is learning from their own motivation? It's powerful. It's absolutely powerful. So world schooling, unschooling, homeschooling is a valid form of education. And it's something that's consent-based. It's sovereignty of the learner. And the role of the parent is not hands-off. The role of the parent is to facilitate. And so this is the most attached parenting that you possibly could do. So. That's my response to the critics that say, wait a minute, your kid's not going to school. What are they doing? Yeah. Um, I just got the five-minute mark. So let me get into family culture, which I haven't really talked about yet. I've, like I said, I've traveled around the world, and I've given these workshops to hundreds of families thousands of adults and children and teenagers. So I'm going to give you some practical tips that you could use today to create a family culture of consent after I drink water. <laughs> so sorry, guys. All right. So I'm going to give you four actual tips that you can start using today. The first tip is, as a family, decide on what your family governments is going to look like. And what that means is explore all the different ways of decision making. Come together as a family and decide what your family structure is actually going to look like. Explore what democracy looks like. Explore what sociocracy looks like. Or the one that I hope that you get to is explore what partnership parenting looks like. Now, partnership parenting is really unique in the sense where everybody's got a piece of the pie. Everybody, everybody's voice is equal. Not one person, it has authority over another. So absolutely everybody in the family has an equal voice. Now, 
that looks like a lot of work, right? But what you're actually doing is you're creating an opportunity for your families to practice consensus. And I know, Derek, you don't like this, this form of government <laughs> or decision making, but it is difficult. I will say that it is difficult, but within the family structure, this is the safe place to play with compassion, to play with compromise, to play with co-creation. So that's my first tip, define your family culture. Uh, in terms of the governance. The second tip that I have for you is create a values-based family culture. And what that looks like is together, as a family, decide on what your core values are together, right? Everybody in the family contributes to this. And then create your family culture map. And when you do this, what this allows you to do is to ditch all the rules. Can you imagine living in a family where there's no rules? Well, guess what? It works. It works if you have a defined family value map. So what do you do when decisions have to be made? Well, I'll tell you. You see if the decision is in alignment with the value, right? So living a values-based life that everybody co-created creates that partnership paradigm and allows everybody to have a voice. And we're talking about sovereignty again, sovereignty within relationship. So that's my second. I'm going to get to the all four of them, I promise, and I'm going to do it quickly. So the third one is, as a family, decide on your traditions, rituals, and just traditions and rituals. That's good. Now, what you can do is you can take your traditions and rituals from your family lineage, or you can create new ones. And I would recommend, in, in the workshops that I've given, we recommend a daily ritual, and it could be as simple as a meal. We also recommend a weekly ritual, which could be a check-in or a family meeting. And we also recommend a six-month mark, which is a ritual. Now, each family is going to come up with their own rhythm, and it's going to work for that family. But I just want to tell you quickly what one of our rituals were. Between my son and I, we did a weekly, uh, a weekly check-in. And what this looked like was, actually, it wasn't a weekly, we did a daily check-in. Every single night, we would meet, and we would answer these three questions. First one, what worked today? And by asking that question, what worked today, it allows each member of the family to be able to share from their perspective actually what worked. Um, we don't happen to see the world through the view of everybody else in the family, and it's a great way to stay in dialogue and stay connected. Oh. 
of course, and I know I'm going to feel better tomorrow, so excuse me. Um, the next one, the next question is, what didn't work today? And that also allows us to share these ideas, stay in dialogue with our family, and not turn it into you did this kind of communication. So what worked, what didn't work? And then the third one is, let's share the expectations for the next day. The next day, I'm sleeping in because I'm staying up late. Don't make lunch for me. You know, that kind of communication might seem really simple, but if you don't make a ritual to do that, a lot of stuff flies by the wayside. And the fourth and final one is select themes. Themes are so important to families. So what you're going to do is, as a family, you're going to brainstorm. You may write out the things, put them into a hat, and each month, or sorry, each week, each month, sometimes each day, you're going to select what that theme is. Ooh, sorry. So anyway, um, it could be a theme of courage, or it could be a theme of questioning everything. It could be a theme of saying yes to all the opportunities that come up. It could be a theme about a certain type of food. It could be a theme about exploring a culture. But to have this tradition, and every week or every month you've got a new culture, that's something that you're building together. And in fact, what it does is it creates the joy in being in community with your family. So. That's it for me, guys. Um, I do want to say one more thing before, before I sign out here. We are bringing in the next generation, and we've got to normalize consent. We've got to normalize sovereignty in our children, and we can't bring in a new generation that will acquiesce to the way that things are, have been done. We want to make sure that the new normal is questioning everything and not allowing those to step on our sovereignty. All right, that's uh, Lainey Liberty. So that was a very important topic. I'll duck it a little bit. Um, I'm not a parent, though, but our co-host, John Bush, is. So I want to hear John's thoughts on this, this whole idea. John, go ahead and let everybody know what you think about this. John has more experience in the world of unschooling, homeschooling children generally than I do. I'm a proud uncle, but not a father. So what do you think about this, John? Hey, uh, thanks, Derek. Well, you know, I'm, I'm – Obviously, I don't have the power to do this, but I'm sitting here hoping to put out to the world the energy to see Derek Bros be a father someday, because I know him and Miriam would really raise some very beautiful, powerful and free children. But uh, I have two kiddos. They're ages seven and nine. And we've done the radical unschooling thing. We've done the unschooling thing, some homeschooling and some private schools. And I think what's really important is for parents, you know, maybe the whole 
unschooling thing doesn't work for some families or the whole partnership paradigm doesn't work. But I think what's important for everyone is to think about authoritarian parenting, which is like total control, using violence and coercion in order to modify the behavior of your children, like spanking, for example, which teaches children that violence is an okay mechanism for changing behavior. So you have authoritarian paradigm, public schooling, government schools, authoritarianism at home, authoritarianism at at the government schools. And then you have the total radical unschooling or the partnership paradigm. And I think what's important, and this is important for all walks of life, whether it's counter economics or opting out of systems or privacy and encryption, right? What I want to encourage people to do is start inching this way as much as you can to try to get to a place that works, right? Because at the end of the day, I think balance is really important. And I want to encourage families that are struggling with the whole government school concept. I want to encourage you to check out the Freedom Cell Network because there is a lot of opportunity in these small groups of eight. If you're wanting to pull your kids out of government school, but you don't think that you can, you can get together with a handful of other families. You can come up with some goals. You guys can chip in and get the homeschool curriculum. You could split up the days on when you take Uh, leadership on teaching of the children. So there's a lot of opportunities out there. You just got to put your mind to it. And I hope that the Freedom Cell Network can be a support group. We actually have a group called, so you want to pull your kids out of government school? You can find it on Telegram and on Facebook as well. So I think Lainey had a lot of great things to say. We're really honored to have her uh, preaching this different perspective that a lot of people aren't used to, but really has a lot of benefits for children growing up this day and age. Absolutely. All right, let's give it up one more time for Lainey Liberty before we go to our next speakers. Okay, so without further ado, I want to introduce a very powerful couple that I have got to know slowly over the last year or so as friends who've been doing both individually and together as a couple just really powerful work. And I, th- I think that they're going to touch on a lot of important things that you guys are going to hear in the, in the areas of health, whether that's physical health, dealing with the COVID world, or spiritual health, mental health, things like that. So please give a warm welcome to Sire and Kelly Brogan. Hi, everyone. Zooming into you. This is amazing. Thank you for for welcoming us and what we represent to this space. We are going to take off our scientific, clinical, medical hats for the next half hour or so and really speak about the interpersonal challenges and the ways in which you know, dynamic relationship, whether that's, you know, in partnership or with your family or friends, may be actually where the real sovereignty work is to be done and the role of so-called sovereign love in this reclamation process. As Kelly stated, you know, our relationship has prepared us in ways for what is occurring right now uh, in the sense that the title, you know, informally of this is Our Spiral Path, Remembering Love in a Time of Division. And our experience has been that as we learn what our relationship is really about and who we are, that we continue to see the container break so that we can grow bigger and, and, and deeper in our love and our understanding. And in so many ways, you know, although Kelly and I have been activists, if you will, out there, you know, doing what we can to try to speak our version of truth 
um, when it comes to health and wellness and sovereignty and all the things we're talking about, um, the reality is that we have learned that it's really through love and, and really learning what that is that we are able to navigate this time. Um, so quite literally, divide means to force apart, remove. You know, that's what the etymology uh, speaks to. And, you know, you can look outside and see how literally agendas are being executed that do remove, for example, children from parents or force us in, in all places to stay six feet or more separate from each other. It's such a intense moment that it constantly requires us to make decisions on a really heart level as to how we're going to navigate that. And I think that for Kelly and I, you know, we have come to understand that unless we have that self-love and really are learning to embody it, um, a lot of what we do to resist or to attempt to do good contributes in part to the toxicity that we think is out there. And that's been one of the greatest lessons, I believe, in this window, is that you know we've had to look deep inside and figure out how did we co-create this condition? Because the us and them is very powerful. And if anything, I believe this moment and uh, you know the darkness that we feel uh, and how we're being captured is because we believe that we haven't co-created this situation. It's not to say that um, you know there isn't a aggressive energy out there with an agenda, right? That's practically inhuman. Uh, but it does also help us understand that in, insofar as we recognize how we are responsible for um, co-creating, you know, I don't know if anyone out there ever has ever used Amazon. That's a good example. You know, the very, you know, conveniences that we have relied upon are now being weaponized against us. Social media is an example. That's why we're so grateful for Derek and all of you to co-create this space that we are creating you know, through our own intention and technology. Um, but the reality is for us, um, you know, we've had to have our own experience of this in our relationship of really taking back possession of the adult self. Well, we're responsible for our triggers we're constantly bringing them out in one another, perfectly designed. You know, our wound structure uh, is also what created the conflagration, the chemistry of why we are so deeply in love with each other. But it's not easy. And um, again, that is why we feel that in many ways, our relationship has been the greatest gift in helping us understand what's going on, quote, out there. Um, so I do believe, though, that we can all learn greatly from this. And, of course, as a community of individuals that share values, we are so much stronger because of the, quote, Great Reset than otherwise would be the case. And as our colleague Charles Eisenstein, who's been part of this, uh, has said, you know, um, there is a, a more beautiful world that our hearts know is possible. And again, this is this is it right now. I feel like this moment, you being part of this event, we're gonna hold that together with you and uh, encourage you also to, you know, just dig deep, find that self-love, bring it to your relationships and it will expand out into the world. And that is the kind of greater reset that we're all about. 
Yeah. And so when we talk about this concept of, of sovereign love, because, you know, I am relatively new to concepts in spirituality. That's, I didn't, you know, kind of grow up. I incubated very much in the cult of conventional medicine and the word soul wasn't even a part of my vernacular until even a few years ago. As a, a doctor of the soul psychiatrist, uh, we never use that word in medicine. And so the, this idea of like one love and we should all be, you know, you are me and I am you and all we need is love and all these concepts don't resonate for me personally because they, they smack of like this inauthentic kind of um, bypass of what matters, which is solving problems. You know, that's kind of my programming. And so this this discovery process of learning what is what is love, you know, I still don't know. Um, but I have a better and better concept of what it is not, uh, which is pretty much what most of us learned about. And I love, you know, that we are right after, um, you know, the, the previous talk is so appropriate because we were all enculturated in hierarchical, uh, all, most of us, I think almost 99.9% of us, in hierarchical models of conditional love. And what that meant and means for us is that we were entrained to cultivate defenses for survival, for what literally felt like our existential um, need meeting. And those defenses became our personality. So we learned we get love when we behave, we are compliant and we are obedient. And love is either withdrawn or violence is brought to us if we are not. And so naturally we would cultivate the different kinds of you know, aspects of our um, arsenal of defenses that would secure love and avoid abandonment, rejection, or betrayal. And we are in, in this holographic way, I think, this collective adulting moment where as a populace, as a, you know, a human species, um, but also in our individual lives, we are being invited towards uh, sovereignty and invited towards adulthood and invited towards the, the terrain of resolving codependency because it's that, um, that childlike energy of uh, victimhood that is appropriate in childhood in many ways um, if you, you know, consider children to be dependents um, and, and helpless in ways then it's appropriate that they could be victimized by violence or abuse. But when we carry that forward into adulthood and we seek the familiarity, the familiar re resonance of that victimhood, then we are going to relate to authority through that lens. And that's what we're seeing now, is that whoever has power over us um, is, is this bigger field of energy than we perceive ourselves to be, is either idealized as the benevolent caretaker um, or villainized, right? In, in this kind of black and white uh, split object thinking of the child. And I think Sayer and I are particularly susceptible to orienting in defiance uh, towards the, you know, extant authority figures, whether it's, you know, the government or, you know, medical system, whatever it might be. But you all know that that's not what sovereignty looks like. Sovereignty is non-referential. It's not in opposition and it's not in idealization up. And, you know, this phrase came to me recently, you know, um, you know, I will be okay if you leave. How can we love with that as the 
underlying uh, commitment. And that could be your house that you love. Like if your house gets blown away in a hurricane, I will be okay. Your cat, your child, your partner, you know, the medical system, the legal system. Is there anything in your life that you feel you need to be safe? Because that's probably a flag post for where it is, you know, that you are in a codependent dynamic, giving your power away and ultimately battling to control that entity, person or system. Because this is what I've learned love isn't. It isn't control and it isn't merger. And that's what I imagine is coming up for a lot of you the way it's coming up for, for us is that agreement um, and shared reality feels safe. And we don't really know how to navigate with an open heart holding our reality in the midst of a different worldview. And, and we're, we're doing that, right? I imagine you have many experiences just like we do of trying to navigate that without giving your power away um, and understanding that not only, you know, should you not control this other individual, but if you attempt to, uh, it's ultimately going to seed your, your, you are seeding your disempowerment. And so I think a lot of what we've begun to look at is what I've referred to, um, and I, it's a concept I learned from our therapist, which is this rupture of idealization, you know? So I, I'll, I'll put it on you all to think about, you know, are there relationships in your life where you feel chronically disappointed and betrayed, right? Or are there relationships in your life where you imagine if this person died, you would never ever be okay? Or are there relationships in your life that you feel, again, this could be to systems too, that you couldn't live without safely, right? Those kind of indicators are, you know, the signature of codependent dynamics, control-based dynamics. And you will subtly manipulate those parties to meet your safety needs, which means that you are not meeting your own safety needs. And that is a very advanced practice, obviously, as, as we know. Uh, but what can happen is that you get to a point where, where something shocks you so devastatingly. And this happened for... Yeah, I'm just thinking of, of your process is slightly different with the medical system, but this happened for me with the medical system where I was so shocked that I was able to put my own Hashimoto's into remission 11 years ago that it incited this rupturous rage in me. I felt so betrayed by this system I had been an indentured slave to for 10 years that I waged war against it, right, for, for many years, and in many ways still am struggling with that, you know. But that rupture of idealization was the moment that I saw something so inconsistent with this idealized version of the medical system that was here to save people and help humanity that I couldn't, I couldn't easily integrate it. And so I had a choice. I could suppress what I saw and pretend it's not there and then feel like, kind of chronically frustrated or disappointed, um, or that betrayal energy could do what it did, which is to fuel my departure, my individuation from the system. And the, the maturational psychology is that, you know, it's such that, you know, we resolve that dissonance sometimes by rebellion, but there's still another stage, you know, which, which is how to navigate being you 
without it invoking a fight against what it was that betrayed you. And this is the, you know, is the phrase, I, I don't know where I got this, but I love it and I use it often. This is having a strong spine and a soft heart. How can you experience love, experience connection, even as you individuate as yourself, your totally distinct self and you hold your reality strong. It involves owning a lot of your stuff and a lot of shadow work, which is probably why we're seeing that, you know, spiritual bypass isn't, isn't working. And a lot of the so-called spiritual community is falling prey to the vectorized fear, you know, based capture of their perceptions of the body and germ theory is certainly the, in many ways, the projection of your shadow and that bad invisible enemy is coming to get you and invade your, your body, um, your, your weak, broken, delicate body. And we are seeing that in order to remain sovereign, we have to own our part in creating every experience and certainly own our responsibility to create the conditions to feel how it is that we would like to feel. So I've said, you know, that I do think that victimhood is the only human pathology. Uh, because it is what renders us vulnerable to enslavement. Beautiful. I think, too, you know, what's really come up strongly, you know, in terms of solutions is that, you know, when it comes to the traumas that enable us to be captured by agendas, that's really the roots of what I think both Kelly and I have been seeing. You know, whether it's race, class, gender, socioeconomic status, there's so many ways that the dialectic has been energized so that basically there's a constant state of disorientation and it's rooted in the fact that we've had many traumas installed within us already. Uh, for example, if you were born into this world, likely you didn't have a natural birth, you know, your mother didn't have an orgasmic birth, which is a possibility. Uh, you know, you may have been circumcised, vaccinated, we come into the world so deeply traumatized by design uh, that it makes it easy for us to, again, dissociate from our body, evacuate our souls, and make it near impossible to remember love, to really bring it into bodily being. Many of us have traumas which then attract us to our partner. And it's like this perfectly designed inversion, right? Where you think that you're just romantically meant to be with this person and it's like karma like it's and yet it's actually because you're helping each other discover unwind and deal with the wounds that come up and that's the tough part i know kelly and i have both wanted to run the other way on numerous occasions or worse, yeah. or worse and ultimately we stuck in this container and although even with trying to do that the spiral path means you keep growing you deepen and and those containers shatter and, and you grow a new, stronger one if you can make that commitment. So I think we're doing that. I'm sure you're doing that. The point is, is that if we can continue to commit to self-care, which this woman has helped so many people, including myself, understand what that really means, that is going to be the continuity that we're not going to see reflected outside of us until enough of us reach a critical mass, like this community, people locally you'll be able to connect to post this clarification window called COVID and the Great Reset, we're going to be forming that new world, but it's going to be about those people that take full responsibility for 
again, not being the victim and then realizing that we can really create an amazing future together if we do that. Yeah, and some of it is having modeled possibilities. You know, I think part of the the struggle for all of us in terms of understanding what love is, even love of our own bodies, uh, is that we haven't had it modeled. You know, we, we certainly can't um, invoke too many relationships that we've been exposed to that help us to see what, uh, how to navigate, you know, um, the inevitable invocation of wound uh, material and resonance that, that happens when you are, you know, matched with someone in the way that, that we are. And we have, like Sayer said, totally antithetical defense systems. You know, I get aggressive and super intellectual and lean in and attempt to control in that way. And, you know, if I could speak for you, you you withdraw and, you know, shut down and want to, you know, run away. I want to run away often too, but that's not how I feel safest. How I feel safest is when I grip. And so those are not compatible styles. And so what can happen is that we have this, this opportunity to what we've described as remembering love, you know, to, to know that there are certain relationships in our in our lives, whether it's with your partner or with your brother, um, you know, or with a close friend, where when conflict arises and you feel that racing heart and tight chest, and you lionize yourself, you know, in, invoke your old patterns of reactivity, right? So old activity um, that have seemingly worked for you for a lot of years, and they probably did serve you. Uh, you're, you may be in a position to recognize that it just isn't cutting it any longer and you feel isolated and miserable, you know? Um, so how is it that you can connect even through this process of becoming separate people, right? So maybe interdependent rather than codependent people. And the simple answer I've come up with is that when your supercharged reflex is, is a no, how can you say yes, right? So how can you lean in when you want to run? And when your supercharged, you know, reflex is somehow, you know, a yes, how can you, meaning that it would be easier for you to invoke your old pattern of giving something away, whether it's compassion, time, money, you know, energy, just to kind of keep the peace how can you recognize it's time for that boundary and it's it's time for whatever discomfort arises um, through the setting of that boundary through that no and that's obviously a big one as we interface with the medical system right now and and all the ways that the medical system has permeated uh, governance structures is to understand that that no is sacred um, what is your no where does it begin you know for us it, it even begins with masks and and continues with all of the associated, um, you know, propaganda. But for you, it might be different. So, you know, as an example of understanding that the assertion of that strong spine, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to feel scary. It may even feel like, you know, you could bust into a million pieces if you move in that direction. And that is often, again, the signature of adultification. 
because you didn't ever transgress these zones of discomfort previously because your child self told yourself that you would die if you did. But, you know, what are we in? Our, our 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s? Like, it's time to take, take the wheel. And, you know, the analogy I sometimes use is, you know, if you are a, let's say, 45-year-old woman, man, whatever, and you're living in your parents' basement, and they don't feed you, they beat you, and they keep you confined, and this has been going on for 45 years, you might have no ability to conceive of what it would be like to live on your own out in the world. And you might have even, through Stockholm Syndrome energy that is so prevalent right now, you might even feel like they're doing the best they can, and I, I need them because I don't have anything else, you know? But there might also be that day where you notice the window, you know, and you say, well, I can squeeze out of there. It's going to be super scary and I'm going to be homeless and I'm not going to have clothes and I'm not going to know, you know, maybe even how to communicate with people or what to do or where to go. And obviously we would all look in on that situation and say, that's the right move. Take the risk because you are now consenting to your own abuse. You are now participating in your own enslavement as a grown adult. This is an antiquated dynamic and you don't need it any longer. So if you, you move through the fear and terror that would be invoked, you know, by squeezing out that window, um, there's wild horizons of the unknown, you know, that are awaiting you. And I think those dynamics are, happen for most of us on a day-to-day -day basis where we're becoming what it is that we thought we'd never have to be, you know. Um, for me, that's like, you know, heart-centered and <laughs> compromising and soft, you know, I, I always would have preferred to be, you know, the warrior and the big mouth and the intellectual and all these things that have helped me to feel safe. But if I can still be Kelly while being these other things, I'm beginning to get closer to my essence. And that is where sovereignty arises. It certainly doesn't arise from these control-based uh, forms of connection that are so conditionally uh, rooted in somebody somebody's behavior pleasing you um, or you pleasing someone else that they never ever will feel free and so you know I think that's where a lot of this can begin you know in terms of the real resistance last thing I'll say is that this is the kind of work that will translate into massive change um, I think we all can see that the system that is descending if you will, um, is very much binary, it's fight or flight, it's very black and white, and it is about capturing, you know, the part of humanity that sort of reacts defensively, armors up, versus the heart, which is what we're really talking about here, is really descending back into that part of us that really never did get a chance to be held so it could move through the trauma, individuate, that's the part that no AI system will ever be able to touch or predict. And that is why even this event is an example of it. I think Derek and others had this amazing sense, you know what, we're not gonna let them sit there and celebrate in Davos over what essentially is an extremely dark thing. We're gonna celebrate the truth with you and we are going to continue to use this as an opportunity to create that world that we are all choosing individually right now to live in. Like this field can become the field for billions of others. So I am so grateful that you're here. 
We have this opportunity and I am actually really optimistic. My motto for this year is best life ever. Not just my life, but all lives I've had previously. We can, we can I know it's rather optimistic, but we can make that happen individually and together. This planet could completely regenerate and heal. We can have an incredible experience together. Beautiful. It starts with remembering, you know, uh, how we came here and what we came here for and what that love is likely to look like. It may, you know, it may surprise us, but I know that we're, we're in the recollect, recollection phase and we're doing it. Beautiful. Thank you, everyone. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Derek and everyone. All right. Hey, give it up one more time for Sire and Kelly. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Let me, hey, let's show this camera. We, we are so thankful for them, and we are going to go to our next uh, speaker in just a moment, but I do want to show if we can show these folks on camera. We're going to try to show them you guys. Because, you know, one of the things that we're doing here is organizing watch parties all around, all around the world. We've heard from people as far as Europe, uh, here in Mexico, of course. We got it? Not yet? Okay, not yet. Well, we're going to show you guys soon. We're going to show all the people who are gathering here in, oh, wait, we got it, in Ziwa. All right, I think, nope, okay. Well, either way, wherever you're watching, wherever you're listening, we appreciate everybody who's doing so. Uh, we appreciate Lainey tonight and Sire and Kelly and all the folks who are going to continue to share information. We still have Dolores Cahill. We have Richard Grove up next. Uh, we're going to talk with John and Richard in just a moment. Please stay tuned. Thank you guys for being here. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This has been really amazing. And yesterday was absolutely incredible. And today has been super inspirational. And I'm very grateful that we've brought together such a diverse group of speakers and thinkers and doers. It's not just about political freedom. It's about freedom for your children. It's about spiritual freedom. And as we're going to hear from our next speaker, it's all about freeing your mind, right? Free your mind and the rest will follow. Is that an old En Vogue song from the 90s for you old folks out there like myself? Our next speaker is someone that I've followed for quite some time, and he has really been putting out a lot of content. Some of the first work that I saw him do was 
examining the conspiratorial view of history. And this guy's got a knack for research and a knack for communicating that research uh, very deep and thorough uh, down the rabbit hole, conspiratorial view of history, uh, roundtable groups, secret societies, all that good stuff. And then I remember he well, he also did a whole lot of work with John Taylor Gatto and documenting a lot of his work, which is timeless work about the roots, historical roots of education that many people aren't familiar with. And so that just encapsulated this timeless, super important information. And then he starts getting in all this productivity hacks and like getting things done, this great book. And it really touched me a whole lot as an entrepreneur because we need to be effective in what it is that we do. And a lot of people just are kind of bouncing all over the place. So whether it's entrepreneurship, your family life or your activism, there's a lot of tactics and strategies that you can utilize. And this guy, Richard Grove is all over it. And he's not just soaking up the information for himself, but he's teaching others. He's got this awesome, organization, this network. Uh, it's like a big mastermind group called Autonomy with all sorts of people working together to enhance their lives and to enhance the world around them. Super cool. He's got this marketing firm that they started to help folks get out the message. They've been doing a lot of work with Derek Rose and the Conscious Resistance. So we are super excited and pleased to have him as part of the Greater Reset because he uh, really makes a big impact. So without further ado, we want to introduce Richard Grove as part of today's Greater Reset. Thanks for joining us, Richard. Hey, thank you, John. Uh, can you guys hear me all right? This is the first time I've used a streaming system like this. StreamYard, this is very advanced. I wanted to thank you and Derek for putting this together. I wanted to thank uh, all the exemplary speakers that we've heard so far because I've listened to all the speakers and I'm familiar with these problems and I'm still learning from each speaker. So it's a great investment of time. And of course, I want to thank uh, those of you in the audience who are attending either in person there at the event or in one of the streaming parties out there. Uh, that was an exemplary introduction. Thank you, John. Um, I'm best known for my Peace Revolution podcast. My piece, uh, my, my current piece is called Grand Theft World Podcast. And aside from the Ultimate History Lesson with John Taylor Gatto, I also co-wrote and co-produced the State of Mind, the Psychology of Control. So a lot of the topics that we're going to talk about tonight through the Great Reset, they're near and dear to my heart, unfortunately, because these people exist. They're trying to take away our freedom. They're very well organized and planned, and uh, that's why there needs to be a greater reset. So thank you guys for coming up with this idea and most importantly, putting it in action, because without the action part, it's just a lot of good ideas that go nowhere. And we've seen those type of conferences before, and I think you guys have all done a really good job in setting this up to be solutions oriented that are actionable. So I've tried to uh, arrange some thoughts in that area. Uh, the talk for uh, tonight is going to be called How to Ignite Your Potential. And then focus it on your dreams and map those dreams to reality. I know it's a longer title. So how to be a lifelong learner could be a, a shorter title. Um, you also want to be able to balance what you're learning with your lifestyles and values. And I know a lot of people struggle with that. So that's something we can also address as uh, I unfold this half hour lecture. And that's probably the biggest challenge for me tonight because I'm used to lecturing for five to seven hours and having lots of time to unfold these thoughts so that everyone understands. So uh, if you think I'm a little abbreviated for some reason, that's the pressure on me. All right. So I want to start by uh, giving you guys the keys to understand how to build a world you desire and how to take the steps in the present that allow you to unfold that day by day in life. And for anyone who might not make it through the entire presentation, uh, there's a URL. There's a PDF you can download that has the 19 essential skills for success 
not taught in school. It's probably the most important thing you can get from this lecture is just download the PDF. There's an audio version. There's a video version. We try to take away all your excuses to do the learning. So the slower way to unfold that would be something like this. Why are we here? Why was this conference necessary? I think, first of all, we have self-respect. I think, secondly, we love our families and our friends, and we want a better world for ourselves. But there are people out there that are looking to collectivize everything. They're looking to take away your individual rights to own property, to have freedom. And a lot of our freedom is being given away by the fact that we have choice, but we're not invoking it. We have too many assumptions in our culture. Too many people take things at face value and they don't have the intellectual self-defense to question these sort of things and break them apart. So the great reset, what is it? <clears throat> it's a bifurcation of our society. It's a splitting of our society. We've already seen this splitting going on. We've called it red pill, blue pill, but a better explanation might be to think or not to think. The blue pill people, they take everything at face value. They assume that what authority says is true. And the red pill people, we ask questions. We look into source, source materials and we share that with our friends that are conscious and conscientious and building up an immune resistance to the BS, the propaganda, the lies that take away our ability to have freedom in all the facets that we could. So 20 years ago, when I started looking into these topics for myself, before I started publishing, uh, it was called global governance or global warming because the global warming idea was about wealth redistribution on a grand scale, the invention of carbon credits, these sort of things. Uh, more recently, it's been known as the fourth industrial revolution. Klaus Schwab, who is a protege of Henry Kissinger, <laughs> came up with this idea. He wrote a book called The Fourth Industrial Revolution, Shaping the Fourth Industrial Revolution. The last June, he wrote a book, uh, COVID-19 and the Great Reset, which is just a, a rebranding of the fourth industrial revolution idea. So they've had this idea for 40 or 50 years. And you know, these people that it's uh, a credo of never let a good crisis go to waste. And they're Johnny on the spot with their great reset. So who is it? It's the world economic forum. It's the Bill and Melinda Gates foundation. Actually, those are the same groups that were behind event 201, but that's a, that's a topic for a grand theft world podcast, not this presentation. The world economic forum was founded in 1971 by Klaus Schwab. They started meeting at Davos. They're meeting right now. They're not in Davos this year. It's an online meeting, I'm pretty sure. But while they are doing literally the Great Reset meeting somewhere around the world in their distributed fashions of uh, centralized authoritarianism, we are here enjoying the Greater Reset. So to do that, we're going to learn a little bit about the, uh, the problems that we're facing. And then we're going to dig a little bit, a lot, into the solutions and what you can do as individuals. And if you wait for me to sip a second, I promise there will be actionable actionable intel for all of you throughout this presentation. It's the same as my students have to deal with. They have to listen to me slurp my tea every now and then. All right. So the Great Reset, what's it all about? It's first off, it's top down. It's collectivist. It's not about individual rights or individual private property. These sort of things that have been fought, uh, fought for for hundreds of years that started out with philosophy and moved into actions. No, 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 no. It's about centralized authoritarian uh, individuals become dependent. And what you see is a lot of hypocrisy. What's good for them is not good for us. The, the ruling class has their own set of rules that they're now openly abiding to in front of everybody that you guys wear two masks and they shall have a French, the French laundry dinner. Uh, that Gavin Newsom. So the Great Reset, there's a lot of hypocrisy involved with it. That's what kind of gets people. It's the irony. So they've got this video that by 2030, you're going to own nothing. 
You're going to be happy. And that's a claim. They're substantiating. That's their claim. That's their marketing for this reset. In reality, by 2030, you'll own nothing and you'll be free to be a slave. That's essentially what you are when you can't have private property, when you can't own property, you through history, I'm a forensic historian, through history, you tend to be property if you can't have property. If you can't have a First and Second Amendment style where you can speak what you want and defend yourself as a free human being, you're probably not free. And what is the word for a slave that doesn't know that they're a slave? The fact that we don't have a word for that should maybe put an impression on you. So... In reality, it's a grandiose wealth redistribution campaign. And if you're asking who benefits from all this, look at the billionaires who have all like doubled their value since the COVID reset idea has hit the street. So it's not us. It is definitely a they, them, those who can easily be named. They're out there. But it's not about taking action against them. It's rather they can only take the actions they're doing right now because of our, our apathy, our inaction, our assumptions. So... It takes a lot of repetition for them to get their lies across as reality, but it'll never make it a reality. How could this happen? How could we have a population that's so easily subservient and submission, a submissive? Well, they thought about this for a long time and they took our education system. They took the free will out of it. That's what makes it schooling in the first place. And then they talk, uh, they took a lot of essences out, the components that allow you to have intellectual self-defense to uh, have critical thinking, creative problem solving, be able to have project management, be able to time management, these sort of things that, that are useful to a, for, for adults to be productive, capable individuals. Um, and it's not accidental that these things are gone from our system. It slowly was done over the 20th century, generation by generation. Uh, it started with the Prussian education system being brought to America in the 1800s. This is what John Taylor Gatto's work demonstrates through the ultimate history lesson in the underground uh, history of American education dumbing us down, weapons of mass instruction. Those are some of his books. And then it mingled with the goals of the Anglo-American establishment, which was to bring America back into the British Empire. And to do that, they had to dumb down our, our generations over a century. They had to uh, take away the understanding of uh, our basic rights as human beings. And it had to be able to make us uh, more mergeable with the British Commonwealth's goal of globalism, and that's what uh, globalism really is. It's kind of a, a form of imperialism. And now the new flavor added on to all this recently is the importation of things like social credit system uh, for purposes of control from China. So they are doing a top-down authoritarian type of power move that we have seen in history, 1917 Bolshevik Revolution. We've seen it in the Communist Revolution under Mao Zedong that was funded and provided aid by the same foundations that were running it right now in America. So. Who are these people? That's not the, that's not the question for right now, because that could be answered, but it takes longer. What are they doing? Well, they will use force, fraud, violence, coercion, uh, extortion, blackmail, all these sort of things to make their assumptions in their manifesto into a reality. But that will never make these things that they're doing the truth. And if they back it up with violence, violence is always an admission of intellectual bankruptcy. So. The fact that we can take the moral and intellectual and ethical high ground in these problems is a good starting point. We'll get to the solutions in a minute, but we still have to learn about their plan. Their plan sucks. Their plan sucks, but it will be the plan for our future unless we make better plans for ourselves. So this is really a great opportunity for us to take that self-responsibility, to take those, those steps for self-reliance that we probably could have, should have, would have taken earlier in life, but things were so comfy before the COVID, right? So. As individuals, what can we do about it? 
Well, we have to balance the natural law of uh, the deterministic things in our physical reality with our ability to invoke our free will. Without the free will aspect, and very much the technocrats believe that human beings don't have free will. That's um, uh, That goes back in the late 1800s, where they think of people as clockwork oranges or, or mechanic uh, automatons instead of automa autonomous. So the free will aspect is key in overthrowing the whole structure because their structure depends on people being assumptive, submissive, not asking questions and these sort of things, right? So the free will aspect coupled with uh, the scarcity problems that come with physical reality allow us the freedom to overcome these obstacles. So there's a part of the equation that most people are acquiescing because of their assumptions. You got this far. You're not a victim. You're willing to outgrow the status quo and you're looking for answers. You respect yourself enough to think, maybe I don't know enough to solve all these problems and I'm open to learning. I'm open to experiencing new concepts and ideas. And that's what this conference does each day of the week. And I have interests in all these areas. So I'm not just presenting. I'm also someone who views everyone except uh, this presentation right here as somebody who can learn more than I knew yesterday. And so those types of abilities, I think, are re really help us. That's what helps us become the greater reset. That ability to see, yeah, there's a bad situation, but we can rise to this situation with a smile, uh, a, an attitude of gratitude, a uh, plan to get her done, and a resourcefulness to connect with other people to build the things that we need but we don't have yet for this, uh, this uh, lifestyle of liberty. So the greater reset. <clears throat> Let's define that because we had also defined by their terms what they want for the Great Reset. So grassroots, we're talking about individuals. It's going to be decentralized because centralized is what they want. Uh, Non-authoritative, autonomous individuals that are interoperational. They have a culture of excellence. They have integrity, which means they do what they say when they said they would do it. Those two things make them autonomous and interoperational, not necessarily interdependent, though there are cases where interdependency and autonomy can go together. This uh, physical self-defense as a, as a function of that. And I think that freedom is, a, is the juxtaposition, like there's a triangle that freedom resides within intellectual self-defense, physical self-defense, and a non-aggression principle. And if you have those three in play, you can have freedom the same way that if you have the input, the processing and the output, you could find truth. And these are things we should be taught in school. These are things that we need to have, uh, like I said, a lifestyle of liberty. I like to think of it as cognitive liberty because without the right thinking and the, uh, the attitudes of our personality, we're not really effective as human beings, which goes back to the earlier presenters. Uh, maybe it was Julianne's presentation uh, about them trying to define personality in school instead of actually teach you what the, you need to know to survive and thrive in the world. So this integrity aspect, the autonomous interoperations, uh, the non-authoritarian mentality, the decentralized and individual nature of it, that's what makes it the greater reset. It's the direct opposite of what Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum and the Will, uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation want you to think of as their great reset. That's their plan. We're making a better plan to make their plan obsolete. So why? Well, because I don't think human beings were made to have slaves of other human beings. And that's what's going on in this planet. There's too much slavery. It's never been put in check. And now you're seeing uh, a sliding Overton window that really can't be controlled. So people were enslaved literally by believing what they hear without questioning it and by reading 
things that aren't true without questioning it. So I have a quote. Um, literacy is a form of slavery until a method of critical thinking is conditionally or con consistently practiced by the reader. Insofar as if you're not asking questions about what you're reading, you're totally under control of that propaganda, that press release, whatever you're reading out there that they're putting out as the mainstream dinosaur media. Um, also, those assumptions that tie in, it's a, it's a critical thinking absence. And sometimes critical thinking can simply be refusing to assume. If you just refuse to assume that what you're hearing from authorities is true, questions naturally follow. This is what our brains are meant to do, by the way. You start with the five W's plus how. They used to call it journalism. It's now like a rare thing, like the dodo bird. So let's look at a couple of these areas that we um, need some strengthening in. Currently, people are dependent. They're living terrestrial, I'm sorry, terrarium-based lives. They're very submissive. They're very dependent. They don't have any self-reliance of where their food, water, shelter. They're very dependent on a paycheck, these sort of things. Those are like the golden handcuffs. We also live in an unethical world. And how can we make it an ethical world? What are ethics? Um, well, you know, so if we don't understand the aspects of ethics, uh, effective and ineffective ethics, uh, these sort of things, we can't have an ethical world. So really, we have a responsibility of ourselves to learn about these things. And if they're missing from society, maybe we can do something to affect the function of them. For instance, uh, the Freedom Cells concept that John Bush and, and Derek are telling you about, the freedomcells.org, that's based on a concept. That's the practical application of a philosophy by a gentleman named Bob Podolsky. And he came up with holomats and octologs, and he wrote about it in his book called Flourish. But they were just good ideas. John and Derek and these guys take these ideas and start mapping them to reality so people can actually live that optimal lifestyle of freedom. Now, it's not there yet, and there's more to be done, but it's a starting point, finding other people near you and maybe adding on uh, Bob's sociopolitical... It's a, it's a course on how to form ethical societies. He's got a long sociopolitical polycentric something or other so it's how to it's it's a 10-week course course on ethics is a better way to say it how to build sociopolitical polycentric societies yeah i gotta work on his title for him but the idea is the course is there and if you match it up with the structure people start to get educated they become more autonomous on their own you couple that with a course from someone like michael badnerick that we helped to produce on your rights and now you've got ethics and you know what your rights are and you know how to state uh state your claim in the world maybe a communication uh brush up and then you start to be able to live uh, your 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 engine of freedom is firing on all pistons but that's because you take it upon yourself to learn and go beyond what the uh, the institutionalized indoctrination has brought us through. Most of us, 15,000 hours of indoctrination. It doesn't take that long to learn what you need to survive and thrive in the world. And it takes that long, really, to obscure all these easy ideas that you could be putting into action and having more freedom in your life. There's a lot of aspects of technology that I wish we had and we all wish we had, right? Um the computer that's not Apple or PC, a phone that's not Apple or PC, internet that's not maybe uh, policed by social media companies, the ability to have indelible printing to put something on the interwebs and they can't take it down. Maybe that's something like IPFS. So there's all these technologies, there's all these needs, but the good thing is these are opportunities. These are opportunities and we should see them at not as not as a detriment that we don't have these things in place. But as the opportunity to say, 
oh, there's an opportunity to create an operating system, to create uh, hosting for indelible publishing for people who want to preserve their content and have it always accessible somehow. So these types of ideas, they aren't there yet, not because we don't have great ideas and don't know kind of what we need. We lack the personal networks. We lack the organizational skills. We lack the time management skills. All these things, again, that schooling probably could have given us if they wanted us to survive and thrive. So, woe is us. We went through public schooling. We didn't get what we needed. This is what we get. We get the great reset, right? Well, you got options. I'm here to tell you about options. The ideas that we're talking about is uh, the past is prologue. It's about what can we do today? And what you could do today is like, for instance, my hobby on Sunday nights is I take my knowledge and I juxtapose it to the current events. And we have a podcast called Grand Theft World. That's a good hobby. I get to hang out with my friends. We get to publish some meaningful media each week that helps people make better decisions in their lives um, during the weeks. My activism isn't uh, forward facing. It's internal facing on my students and on my clients. Uh, I created a course two years ago to fill in what public schooling took out to give people the high value skills that they need to survive and thrive and to give them a community uh, where people aren't being chastised and uh, ganged up on in school, like that sort of thing. It's an optimal learning environment where it's a fear-free zone for mutual exploration and for people to grow and outgrow the status quo. It's where they can develop a culture of excellence and teaching people what the schools don't want you to know that, they're not looking for competition. They're creating cogs. The schooling system can be judged by its outputs. Its outputs are people who don't know how to make their value known to the world and do an offer where they can transact on a regular basis. It puts out people who know how to fill out resumes and complain of, you know, all these woes that are, yeah, when you're, when you're at the lowest, lowest level of knowledge about this place, it's pretty rough. But if you raise your knowledge and you raise your skills, and you raise your ability to communicate those things, it gets a lot easier. So what we're talking about is self-management, self-optimization, which gives you real self-confidence and self-esteem. Those types of things are not, get, they're not gotten through the university system, no matter, no matter how many hundreds of thousands of dollars you pay for that. So teaching students how to transmute their fears into interest and knowledge and experience and understanding and thereby uh, wisdom so they can share it with other people. That's part of the solution. All those projects that we need for freedom, uh, whether it's for the, the Agora or it's for self-reliance for your uh, off-grid house, all the skills that we need, it's about the ingenuity. And then it's about knowing how to convey that vision to other people through communication, get their agreement, make plans, move forward, get things done. And if you have all the elements in the in that that uh, that recipe, it's really hard for progress not to happen. Yes, mistakes are going to happen. Uh, obstacles are going to pop up. Things you don't know about are going to appear. But if we never get started with our progress, it's never going to get here. So the other thing we did was after I launched a course a couple of years ago, and that's been like two years. So I spent 15 years publishing. Most of that was telling people about you know, the academic view of the problems and what the theoretical solutions were. And then I started making all of my time input as an investment into helping people enact those solutions in their lives and for their businesses. And it services like the needs that we have to protect ourselves from globalism and the greater reset. But it also teaches people how to have 
consistent revenue so they can keep food on the table and, and the roof over their their head and support their families at this time when so many people are being said that they're they're not essential. So aside from that, we also created a consulting company and digital marketing company that helps small businesses. And why would I do that? Because I think that small businesses are what freedom's all about. You can't have freedom without entrepreneurism and private trade and agorism and counter economics and these sort of great ideas. Uh, they're trying to attack small business right now with this great reset. And if we don't do it, we're always going to be dependent on centralized authority. And I've seen from reading the Gulag Archipelago, all three volumes, uh, how it went in the Soviet Union or read about the Holodomor and how that went death by starvation for like 30 million people in Ukraine under Soviet uh, communism. I've read about how it was in communist China. It's not fun. We don't want to we don't want to do that here. So we have to take it upon ourselves uh, to help each other. Autonomy Unlimited, our consulting company, not only helped uh, Derek and John for this conference, we've helped Mark Passio with his uh, One Great Work Network. Uh, we helped Benny Wills with his Parhesia course. We just uh, started working today with Jordan Page, who's a liberty-loving musician. If you don't know him, you should check him out. And, uh, of course, I mentioned uh, Badnerik and his Constitution course and Bob Podolsky in the Ethics course. So, being part of putting the solutions out there has to do with educating people and then organizing to take action to get those projects on the road. So how you discipline yourself today can give you autonomy tomorrow. And that's the purpose of offering a course for individuals and then a consulting company that can take away all the excuses from people with good ideas. We provide the tech stack. We provide the marketing. We provide everything that's not the highest and best use of that entrepreneur's time. And so you all need tools for the journey that you're on right now with the Greater Reset, and you haven't been given provisions by the schooling system, by the university system. So what I've got is a skeleton key for success for entrepreneur and executive skills and a Swiss Army knife for life, which is the critical thinking and creative problem solving skills. And they're in a PDF that I'm going to mention uh, here at the end. But last but not least, it's not just about teaching people these things. So the way we've set it up is we have a curriculum, we have a community, we have exercises where you build confidence and competence. And if you don't have all those aspects, and we had none of those aspects in schooling, if you don't have a mixture of all those asp aspects, you're not going to get to where you're going. You'll hear great things, but you won't take action. So the whole autonomy journey of breakthrough actions is about taking steps and and taking those actions on a schedule, uh, I call it... Uh, Scheduling your success, actually committing to yourself, putting it in your calendar, just like we showed up for this event tonight. Uh, everyone on your side uh, has to set a timer, a reminder, YouTube, hey, remind me this is going on. On my side, on the production side, I had to uh, check into the green room, make sure sound and video, all these sort of things. So if we don't know how to get things done expeditiously, and we're always making excuses and assumptions, those are the things that are killing freedom right now. Excuses. And assumptions. And we hear a lot of excuses from our friends and family. And maybe we shouldn't accept so many <laughs> excuses. Maybe our, our body, our, our, our body and our souls will be better with that. Uh, autonomy. We don't invent ethics. We help people like Bob put the course out. We don't homeschool or private school. We help the people doing that do that better and reach more new students. We don't do the aquaponics. We help nonprofit foundations set those up at schools. So we are a, a teaching and a community organization around all the solutions that we're looking at, not only today in uh, health and education, but wide variety of wide 
variety of all the technology and uh, topics that we're looking at this week. So we don't teach you your rights. We help you learn them through courses like Michael Badnerics. We don't do the learning. You do that. We provide a structure where it's an impeccable environment of resources where you can internalize it on your own time, apply it to your own project. Some people are still living at home. Some people need to get their first job. They need to get a new job because they just got downsized. They get divorced. Life gets upended. And other people are sailing and want to go faster. They want to go on turbo boost. We cater to a wide spectrum of people because without enacting solutions right now, I'm not sure six months from now, a year from now, without anyone taking action that you know, the other side is not just going to overrun freedom completely. And they're talking about taking away people's uh, keys for encryption and, and these sort of things. So time is of the essence. We need to think. We need to problem solve. We need to communicate. And we need to run lots of projects really fast to get these things done and to stay ahead of the fascism and the despotism. And, um, yeah, without entrepreneurism, agorism, peer-to-peer trade, counter-economics, I don't think there's a whole lot of chance for freedom. So let's double down. Let's go big or go home. And um, thank you guys all for listening. The downloadable PDF, if you want to get the 19 skills, essential skills for success, it is getautonomy.info forward slash 19 skills. Thank you all. Thank you, Derek. Thank you, John. Peace. Hey, thank you so much, Richard. That was a great presentation. Wow. Let's hear the clapping there. Give him a round of applause. There they go. All right. Thank you so much, Richard. He's got me thinking like, man, I need to get me a suit. Need to upgrade my background here. I just got the black curtain. It's looking sharp. Yeah, uh, getautonomy.info is his website. Getautonomy.info, where he can teach you all sorts of skills and all sorts I want to of back that up, John, uh, just on, on autonomy. I, for everybody who's hearing this, I've taken the autonomy course. I have a course on there, one of my books, The Holistic Self-Assessment's on there. I highly recommend what they're doing. Uh, I mean, Richard's just taking some some of these tools that maybe certain activists or just people who are trying to get their businesses off the ground are lacking and really trying to create a cohesive ecosystem. So I recommend checking out autonomy for sure. Yeah, definitely. So I want to show I want to show the watch party here real quick, John. Do we got it? All right. I think we actually have you guys on camera here. Are you guys on there? Can we see you? Well, it's a little. And John, I know you got a picture of a watch party. Oh, yeah. Let me pull that up for you real quick. Yeah, people doing the watch parties all over the place. You know, it's kind of strange that it's it's a bold thing these days. There we go. That's uh, our good friends in Tennessee. That's Nicole Sauce. She's actually going to be presenting on Friday. She is. She already was doing all sorts of uh, community organizing in Tennessee, and then she learned about Freedom Cells, and so she started doing some Freedom Cell organizing and taking on that concept. They recently had a meeting with like 50 or 60 people, she said. So for those of you that are feeling isolated at home, strongly encourage you to check out the Freedom Cell Network. We've been having meetings with 40, 50, 60 people here in Central Texas, and there's a lot of people that are getting together in real life. We got another picture from Central California. Let's put that one up real quick. Just uh, um, a mother and son watching together. All right. 
So shout out to everybody who is watching and tuning in, everybody who's watching the archives. I just want to say again, all of the videos from yesterday are uploaded to our float channel and to our library channel, and, and they're all listed on the website. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and pass it back to you, John. Hey, so I want to thank everyone for tuning in. Uh, this has been just amazing. I said the same thing on the last one, but I'm just kind of in awe of, of what we've put together. I want to thank our team. I want to thank Ramiro. I want to thank the folks on the ground that are volunteering at the Z Watanejo event and all the folks that are organizing watch parties. And then we had this awesome volunteer team that just came together spontaneously to produce all these great little lower thirds that you can see right there and the nice little clips that came together with little transitions. It's all good stuff. But I want to strongly encourage folks, if you haven't already, to join the Freedom Cell Network at freedomcells.org. This Greater Reset is an initiative of the Freedom Cells Network. Also, Derek's um, Underground Railroad, where he's helping people have an avenue if they want to get out of the United States of America down to Mexico, Mexico, Mexico. And so the Freedom Cell Network was started in 2014, 2015 as a way for folks to insulate themselves from the traditional tyranny that so many people have faced. And it turns out that with the wake of COVID-19, the membership of this network, it's not really members, it's just people participating and working together. It's grown exponentially. It was like around 1,000 people before COVID, and now it's like 14,000 people. And it's been growing since this event started. So if you haven't joined yet, I strongly encourage you to do so. And you can go to freedomcells.org. That's freedomcells.org. I want to show you the website real quick just to see some of the features. I want to share some of the stuff that we're doing and encourage you not only to join, but also to support our work. So you go to the website, you put yourself in as a member, you put the skills that you have to offer, you put what you're looking for, and then you can check out the member map to see if there's people in your area. But check out all these different groups that are here. These are my groups that I'm a part of, Texas Freedom Cell Network, Barter Trade Network Development. There's a Dallas group, Austin Voluntarius. But I want to show you just the directory of groups, it's absolutely incredible. There's 1,267 cells all throughout the world. Catskill Mountain Freedom Cell, don't know where that is, but it sure looks beautiful. Toronto, South Florida Voluntarist, it's it's absolutely incredible. Like I said, we're now over 14,000 people. There's a wide variety of resources. You can host events. Go over here to events. There's a picture of the member map. That's I tried to pull it up earlier, and it, there's so many dang people, it's hard to navigate on. So you can see there's literally people all over the globe. We have events as well. There's an event listing, and it's really cool to see that any given week, there's a multitude of different events that you can go participate in. These are the different watch parties that people posted up here. And, and then moving forward, there's just regular voluntarist meets. People get together to barbecue, get together, drink beer, go to the gun range. And it's really incredible. So again, the Greater Reset is an initiative of the Freedom Cell Network. And now I want to invite you to support us, if you can, with a financial contribution. Now, up until this point, we've been doing things completely volunteer, uh, completely out of pocket. I've funded about this much. Derek Bros has funded about this much. I'm stretching my fingers for those that are going to listen later on audio. And I don't think that he should come out of pocket for all this work. Um, he hasn't asked for any recognition for that. He hasn't really complained about it. But when I saw how much he's been paying lately, I was like, man, we got to put some money together. There's a lot of people tuned in right now, and there's over 14,000 people on the Freedom Cell Network. So I want to invite you to check out this little support page that we have here at thegreaterreset.org. Just click support our work. You can contribute via Venmo. 
you can contribute via a variety of different cryptocurrencies, cryptocurrencies, which are, that's our favorite way to contribute, right? We pay some of our contractors and we like to use cryptocurrency and to keep it real. You can also pay with credit card and debit card, make a one-time gift or recurring gift. Then I want to share real quick, we have some affiliates and some partners, mybravebotanicals.com. This is actually my company. So, you know, you're going to get some high quality stuff and I'm going to contribute a significant portion of whatever you purchase to the greater reset and the freedom cell network. Um, Derek bros has the kratom on his website. A lot of people have really benefited immensely. It's made from the powderized leaves of the kratom evergreen tree. A lot of people use kratom to help overcome addiction and to help get off of drugs. People use it for pain, relaxation, and you can go to one of those links, mybraidbotanicals.com. You can also go to Thrive, Thrive On. We're going to be hearing from Foster Gamble on Sunday. He's our headline speaker for Sunday. And if you click these links, you can support the Greater Reset and the Freedom Cell Network as well. Again, we are scrappy grassroots. And some of the funds will be used to put together the next Greater Reset that we're going to be doing soon. So we invite you to support us with your donation. Thank you so much. Derek's going to introduce the next speaker. Thank you for that, John. Yeah, I just want to say again, thanks to everybody who has volunteered. All Everything slick, like John has said, all the stuff that you've seen on the screen has been made completely volunteer, done by people around the world who just wanted to contribute. So shout out to everybody who does that. Now, without further ado, I want to present to you guys our, our last speaker of the evening, which honestly, it was one of the most requested people from those of you paying attention online, as well as people who were planning to be here in person. And uh, I've recently become acquainted with her work and getting to know her a little bit. It's actually like 2.30 a.m. where she's at in Ireland right now, and she stayed up to talk to you guys live. So please give a round of applause wherever you're at in the world to Miss Dolores Cahill. You're muted, Dolores. Can you unmute yourself? Yes. How is that? Is that better? Yep, that's perfect. Okay, great. So first, will I just say a quick hello to everyone? Everyone knows, I think, who I maybe might know a little bit. So Dolores Cahill, um, my background was in immunology and molecular biology, and I've been um, trying to explain what would go on since May 2020 and explaining what's happening with COVID-19. Um, and I'm sure some of you might have seen some of my videos um, as well about how you can prevent and treat uh, COVID-19 and for people not to be so afraid and for the world to go back to normal. But today I thought I would focus on some solutions, if that's okay. And so I have some slides if you wanted to. Will I do the screen share or can you put up the uh, slides? Okay, just give me a second. Uh, just give me just two seconds. Sorry about this. Uh, 
Okay, can you see that? Is that working? Yep, it looks great. Full screen, just a second. Okay, ago. Cool. Yeah. great. So, um, I thought I would present some of the work that I've been doing. And each of these projects, there are a team of people. And, and I just want to present a short overview because I think what's very important is that we kind of move from a world where we're shocked from what's going on, like all of the other speakers have said, to be solution focused. So the number of projects that I've been involved in are, for example, the uh, World Freedom Alliance, which started off from the World Doctors Alliance. Uh, and then uh, I'll just move on and explain a little bit about Freedom Airway, which is trying to fight back against the lockdown and uh, they are trying to prevent us from traveling. And then I've just also been involved in setting up and founding a media network uh, called happen.network. Um, and then um, I'll just move on uh, as well to the final one, which is there is a university in Ireland called universityofireland.org. And I would love to be involved with people in Ireland. This university is already existing and has online courses, but we're actually trying to move this on now to see if we can provide courses uh, to explain to people what is going on and also to spread information around innovation and in this brave new world. Uh, so I'll just start off. Uh, all of the information that you can see, you can get links to on DoloresCahill.com. Um, and I'm also have been chair for two years of a political party uh, called the Irish Freedom Party. And as you'll see in the World Doctors Alliance, we have this World Freedom Alliance and WorldDoctorsAlliance.org. And this is how we've managed uh, in the past few, let's say six months or so. It started off with doctors getting together because, as everybody will know, when doctors and nurses and scientists uh, and you know people were speaking out a lot of us were censored on social media but also very many people uh, lost their jobs so initially the world doctors alliance that was headed by uh, dr adil who actually lost his job for doing a short video around hydroxychloroquine and its benefits in april 2020 uh, and then there were nurses as well like kate shamari in the united kingdom and each of us in the were being uh, under huge pressure in our jobs on our own. So we came together in Trafalgar Square to form uh, the World Doctors Alliance to have rallies and to provide health information. So the World Doctors Alliance is one group then in the World Freedom Alliance. And this was really initiated in Berlin. And then we had the founding meeting in uh, Stockholm. And the World Freedom Alliance is really to... Uh, bring together lots of initiatives around the world. So really the kind of charter of the World Freedom Alliance is just to promote freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom of thought, and to provide information around bodily integrity. And then the last one that's quite unusual is uh, free from coercive banking systems. 
So I suppose what we want to do is to tell people that everybody has fundamental uh, rights and freedoms. They come from you from the very fact of being human and the fact that you are born and no one can take them away. So everybody thinks, oh, just because the governments make a particular regulation or a guideline that we all have to follow it. And I was listening to speakers earlier on about educating people uh, and also about innovation that really, you know, we have to really teach our generation, but also the generations and children below us that we have these rights of freedom of speech. We have rights of bodily integrity. If you don't consent to do something, no one can force you uh, to take a PCR test or to take a vaccine. So our mission uh, in the World Freedom Alliance is just to be a platform or a network for people and groups and organizations who are standing up around the world. So we have about 40 organizations uh, that have been working with us to build the World Freedom Alliance in countries in every continent in the world. And what we are now doing is uh, getting coordinating teams from these countries uh, and we are spreading it then. So we are having interviews and um, we want to then uh, ensure that if particular countries will say, if Sweden has got a home defense network and if Ireland is holding uh, doctors to account, that if we have the templates of the letters or if there is a mechanism to get communities together, uh, like in Sweden, that that best practice is put on the worldfreedomalliance.org web website and that people can actually share information. And also we have what's called Medic Debate on the World Freedom Alliance, which is a repository of a lot of publications uh, and information around court cases and every topic such as masks, uh, the harm of the lockdown and information on court cases around the world. And we want to use that as a repository um, for information. So we also have to get some funding to continue this as well. So we're hoping that to be a member of the World Freedom Alliance, you can just uh, enroll on the website and it's 20 euros uh, for membership. And this is just to cover the basic costs uh, of keeping the information of the World Freedom Alliance together. Um, and then maybe just in the World Freedom Alliance as well, as well as doctors and scientists, we have what we call pillars or focus groups. And that is in the area um, of law, so we have both maritime law, the corporate law, but we also have a lot of expertise around the world in common law, uh, because a lot of the time natural law and common law is one of the ways that people can actually really understand our uh, natural rights and freedoms. And also if we want to push against the uh, globalist system, sometimes actually going back to the fundamental natural law, or which is based on English constitutional law and equity, which has more colloquially been known as common law, may be a very powerful force. And as you'll see later on, as I move to Freedom Airways, is that uh, we have these constitutional rights that no one can stop us from traveling and no one can force anything into our bodies. And it's very important that people understand that. And in the World Freedom Alliance, we have a handbook now, which encapsulates it's initially in English, but a lot of the fundamental aspects that people need, and the hope is that that will be translated around the world. And I guess a lot of the projects that I've been involved in is, um, as people who might have heard me speak know, that some of this process has been going on for 20, 30 years. 
And so some of us who have been aware have also spent many years thinking when this is actually triggered, what would be the building blocks that the world would need to actually fight against it? So the World Freedom Alliance, again, it's not that we would repeat what's done. It's a platform so that you can, say, click on a country. It could be in America. uh, It could be Tanzania. It could be Brazil. And you can see what are the organizations that are already standing up. So the World Freedom Alliance complements really a lot of the cell networks and other organizations, such as uh, Children's Health Defense or all of the Doctors for Truth or Lawyers for Liberty. So we just want to have them working together in a pillar for law, uh, a pillar for medicine, a pillar for innovation and a pillar for banking. So that's the World Doctors Alliance. So then the next thing, of course, that is the major issue of the pushback is that we need uh, to push back on travel. So uh, about two months ago now, uh, or maybe yeah, a month ago, two months ago, we had our first meeting. I gave an interview and I said, if people around the world were interested in starting up an airline, Uh, that would actually defend our rights of freedom of travel and bodily integrity. And I'm very honored to be working. There are five of us in Freedom Airways. We have four women and one man. We're from uh, two continents, and uh, all of us have been involved in fighting for freedom. And we have set up this company, Freedom Airways. And... Uh, It's called Freedom Airways and Freedom Travel Alliance, uh, FAFTA. And we have a number of uh, initiatives that we're doing. First is that people can become members. And if you become um, a member, uh, FAFTA can actually, we are going to provide information. We're also going to look at various policies and in specific countries to see what is the legislation and then work with our members to try and provide them immediate information so that they can travel. So it could be just that they have a car to say, you cannot force me to wear a mask. Or, and we also would like to have branding that say that people could wear a pin and say, I am a FAFTA, I'm a Freedom Airway client, uh, and I am actually protected and I know my rights. And we also want to build up a community of freedom fighters So initially, we are working on providing individual flights as well as policy. That is the aim. But of course, we want to expand it out as well so that the crew that would work with Freedom Airways, and we've had huge interest from uh, pilots and crew members around the world, will obviously not be forcibly vaccinated and will not wear masks if they don't have to. Uh, So initially as well, we are raising money uh, from members, um, but the first flights If we can't push back on legal cases, the first flights can be from countries where they are already respecting their freedoms. And as you see, we can fly essentially from Switzerland or Austria has won uh, constitutional cases. PCR cases have been won in Portugal. There are some countries such as Tanzania that have never actually had a lockdown and Brazil is open. So the first flights could actually be to move the freedom-loving people of the world, such as everybody listening to this. If you want to go on a vacation, you can actually sign up to be a member and then tell us uh, what flights would you like to take. So this is the Freedom Airways and Freedom Travel Alliance. So we will be working in the areas of policy, giving information to our members, 
uh, ensuring that the crew and everybody who wants to, if you are a pilot or crew and you want to work in an airline that doesn't, that actually respects your freedom and bodily integrity. Um, and also we will be giving advice. So then uh, in the FAFTA airlines, our core value is really that, um, that we want to respect the human rights of people. So of freedom, uh, their, their ability to international travel. Um, and we also want to make connections. So we can see that Freedom Airways could actually be building a community. So not only for people who um, fly, but also when you arrive at a destination, we would also be uh, partnering with hotels that actually respect your freedoms and bodily integrity. And we want to really build up a community. And also we know that people who are freedom lovers love nature and we would be maybe pick, uh, picking uh, speciality flights and destinations where, uh, for such an example, for um, hiking or for um, you know specific interests where freedom lovers would like to go. And our unique uh, proposition really is that the founders are all freedom fighters. We see that the globalist system only works if people, for example, are forced to take vaccinations because a lot of people don't want the vaccination. And one of the crunch points that the globalist system is using is to say, if you have to travel for work uh, or if you have to travel to reunite with your family, that you are forced to take a PCR test and you're forced to uh, take a vaccination. So we are want to defend people's right to travel uh, and defend people's bodily integrity. And we want to build an ecosystem. So we would love, we are looking, there's an opportunity uh, to become a member on the uh, freedomairway.com site. Um, and also you can give us information as well. We have questionnaires that you can say, where would you like to travel? And also we will be building up policies and answers to frequently asked questions. And we are hoping to have the first flights in uh, February 2020, ideally from somewhere in Europe to uh, North America. Um, and if we do have to take legal cases or clarify the policies on that, we will do that uh, before the first flight will take off. And the uh, payments for the flight will be from uh, airlines where they are already flying so that uh, we will be levering, leveraging where the airlines already have compliance with regulation. And what we will be doing is ensuring that Freedom Airway people don't have to wear a mask, don't have to be PCR tested, and don't have to be forcibly vaccinated. So that's freedomairway.com. So there are the two main projects that I've been working on for the last uh, six months. But I just wanted to mention uh, two new projects. And really what I'm doing uh, with these initiatives, just highlighting them, is to say to people really who are listening in, we are actually on the dawn really of a new wonderful world. And what you and us, what we have to do together, I think is to get over the shock of uh, 2020 and all of the um, infringements on our basic rights and civil liberties, and where we've also seen, you know, police have been actually not defending people, but instead often have been very aggressive uh, in actually preventing people from going about their daily lives. Um, and also we have seen doctors and some people in the administrative systems and in governments uh, and in these advisory committees 
um, where they've actually been preventing health information. Uh, and, you know, I would say that a lot of, if not all of the deaths from uh, the symptoms of COVID-19 could have been prevented if the politicians and the media and the administrative um, systems had actually provided the proper uh, health information. So the next initiative that is quite recent, um, and I'm very honored to be the director of this uh, company, uh, is called Happen.Network, and it's a new uh, media company. And uh, this has been actually founded by, I am the director and founder at the minute, but there is a team of people who have been working as TV producers and are experts in media technology with over 20 years experience. Um, and Happen.Network is a media network to balance the narrative. And it will sit between uh, traditional media and social media. And what it wants to do, our aim is to provide honest and independent news and also documentaries on topics that affect people's lives. And what we've seen is there has been surveys and more than 75% of people uh, on surveys in uh, the United Kingdom do not trust the media and do not trust the news. So we see that part of the thing as well to break the lockdown is to actually have um, a news channel. Now, initially, uh, this is a news channel. Uh, it's based in the United Kingdom. It will uh, position itself between mainstream media and social media, um, but also people can subscribe to it. We will have a subscription model and a lot of the content will be free when it's, we'll say, three to five days old. But what we're also looking for is uh, that this would be a place to screen content. And we would also provide, if you are someone uh, who has material, potentially we will uh, provide the editing and documentary services uh, so that you can get a professional um, you know, documentary or if you want to do 15 or 20 minutes and part of the reason why we came up with this is that um, in order to get our message out to a larger audience, including from professionals uh, where we are being censored, is that we kind of, not all of us will have the ability to develop studios or to buy cameras. And so this uh, Happens Media is a way to get, uh, Happens.network is a way to get content out uh, to a wider audience. And the main thing then is to provide uh, balance and to have honest and independent uh, reporting. And we would like to do this in all fields. So, you know, we realize there is an urgent need in the healthcare system and in science, but also in many aspects of law and access to justice and in the banking system. And if we need to build communities that are going to be the small businesses, as the last speaker was talking about. We need to actually be able to exchange information. And I think on uh, happen.network as well, what we need to do is to have good news stories and to have successes as well so that we can learn from each other. And uh, happen.network is actually very proud uh, to have produced a documentary called The New Normal. And uh, The New Normal was... Uh, is now in the final stages of editing and uh, Happen.network will be releasing the new normal uh, within the next week or so or in early February. 
So this is, I'm very proud to be associated with Happen.network and we would also like to provide it as a way of um, showcasing documentaries. Uh, we will have access to legal systems as well and copyright to ensure that any documentaries uh, would be available. And of course, anything on this could also be on other platforms. There is a huge need as well to connect the, um, you know, the people that have been producing very professional content and uh, very professional shows that what's really needed is a 24-hour news network around the world so that people can get reliable information. So in Happen.network, we actually will be either going to America in the next few weeks or liaising uh, with media companies in America and also in Australia to see if we can provide uh, a high-quality uh, news network and also to showcase uh, people who are doing excellent documentaries against the lockdown. So that is uh, that. And of course, uh, the website is being built at the moment, but we have around uh, a thousand people logging on uh, per day onto uh, happen.network and the website will be up soon. So please subscribe to that. And we will have a membership model as well where people can become members or we'll also have a subscription model. I think it's around three pounds a month so that you can access the content. Great, and then one of the uh, last things I would like to mention is that uh, you can go to universityofireland.org and this is an existing university uh, with online courses. And what it does, it's a very innovative model. It's, uh, it's taking online courses, but it, you, if you are a full-time student and you want to take a full-time course, you don't have to pay any money so that you can actually get provided with the information. And then uh, when you finish your courses, if you want, you can actually decide to invest in the university uh, and you'll become a shareholder of the university. And then your money will provide uh, the education for other uh, students to follow. So what we want to see is like the other speakers have said, we actually need to have a new paradigm in education. And we've seen really at all levels of education, a dumbing down of education. And also we need to have much more rigor about the content of the courses in all, as in all levels of education, including in the university. Uh, the courses that are already existing on the University of Ireland are all accredited courses, and they're either um, done through uh, professional course companies and the uh, University of Ireland as well is also uh, regulated and has been approved by PISA. So this is uh, what we aim to do as well. I think there is a huge opportunity to actually do courses that are needed right now. So to give people potentially perspective about why, what happened, why was the pandemic called, for example, in March 2020, and to put the whole series of eight or nine pandemics in the last 20 years into context and also to see uh, parallels we see between what would have happened uh, 20 years ago in the last SARS um, and the SARS now. Because I think we need to, for people perhaps who are not as aware as maybe people here, if you have family members, I think some of them are finding it hard to believe what's going on. So I think there is an opportunity if we can get the top people in the world 
who have been standing up against the lockdown. There are many Nobel Prize winners and scientists and lawyers that there could be potentially courses to actually explain to people. And that may help from a psychological perspective um, that um, most of the time people have been kind of paralyzed in fear for the last year. And I think everyone realizes that it has been exhausting and that what we need to do even within our families and in our communities is to have more people to ask questions and maybe to see that there are solutions and to reduce the fear. And if people are not afraid anymore, they can actually then consider taking action. They can um, maybe realize the world that we have now in 2021 um, is a different world, but actually if they can take action and build up communities like in the Free Cell Network or in the World Freedom Alliance or together, uh, that we can actually work together and put some volunteer to put some time to build the new communities. And then uh, the last thing is just to say, obviously I'm happy to talk as well or answer any questions, but that a lot of this information will be on, is on DoloresCahill.com as well as a lot of the videos that were censored uh, from me. So um, very good. Now I'm very happy. I'll stop sharing the screen if that's okay. And maybe I'm very happy to answer questions if anybody wants, if you'd like that in as well, or I can talk about any aspect that you'd like me to talk about. Well, Dolores, thank you. First of all, let's get a round of applause for her. Thank you. Yeah, um, John, or, or we can get one of our uh, our helpers here to pull a couple questions offline. But I'll take one in person. Does anybody here in person here in Zihuatanejo have a burning question for Dolores Cahill? Feel free to raise your hand. I might mention one thing if you haven't a question, but that's fine if you have a question. Oh, go ahead if you have something to say. I have just something that I'm starting this project on the PCR, sequencing the PCRs. And I have to uh, clarify as well that I said there was a report about 15,000 PCRs were sequenced in October 2020. And it looks like that that report wasn't correct. But one of the reasons, because we didn't know whether that report was correct, we are, we are actually starting from scratch anyway, that was the plan from about six weeks ago, uh, that we are looking for ethics approval. And I'm working on two continents with about three um, sets of three countries, and we will be applying for ethics approval to get positive PCR tests and negative ones and deep sequence them and see uh, what when a PCR test is positive what is actually in that test. Uh, and the reason for that is that influenza viruses, adenoviruses, rhinoviruses are, are circulating every winter. And if we come back that the deep sequencing of these positive PCR tests are not SARS-CoV-2, then people, uh, the, if all of those tests are not SARS-CoV-2, then the basis of the legislation around SARS-CoV-2 and the public health emergency will not be valid. And people can then challenge their governments and in the courts uh, that there is no need for the lockdown. 
but as well, even if it is half of the tests are influenza or something else, then people will not do not need to be quarantined and potentially can challenge the government then because the government should be checking that as the months go by that the PCR tests are still what the uh, diagnostic companies and the governments are saying. Thank, thank you for that, Dolores. That's absolutely an important point. Anybody who's been paying attention the last year now knows that a, a big part of the you know, when we're talking about the problems, a big part of exposing the problem and the flaws in the COVID-19 narrative, not to, to you know, as far, as far as I'm concerned, is to say that there are problems and to acknowledge that the problems and the issues with the PCR method. And uh, that's some really important work you're doing there. So, you know, you you just have so many projects going on. We want to thank you again uh, just for being with us tonight. Let me see. Do we have any questions yet? No. Oh, here's one. Do you ever sleep? <laughs> Well, it's a privilege, and I think, yeah, well, I do, yes, and, uh, you know, it's a pleasure to be involved, but I suppose we've had a lot of reports from whistleblowers and people around the world that literally every day, um, you know, thousands of people are dying, which is, you know, I came out in May to say the main issue with these, as did many other people with the mRNA vaccine um would be this viral interference, um, antibody-dependent enhancement, you know, priming, super priming. But that is more when whatever the mRNA is in it, when that next virus is circulating. And for me, that may be in March this year or, Mar you know, February, March next year, if it was a coronavirus. But what is very shocking is the anaphylaxis type, the early deaths, you know, after the vaccine is in the initial five days, the CDC reported on the 19th of December 2020 that it was 2.8% were having, uh, you know, adverse events that meant they were unable to work. And what I am afraid of is if people get the second vaccine, there will be much more kind of allergic reaction initially. Uh, but the real potential illness and death is in the months ahead. So um, part of organizing, trying to get the media channel, uh, happen.network is that even if other people have documentaries um, or information that we can help, uh, you know, and we will, people will have to pay obviously, but we will try and provide editing and legal uh, services to try and get the information out. Because we think that if we have a reliable news channel, and that um, it's supporting, uh, you know, people who are speaking out professionally that we can then change the narrative. Thank you for that, uh, Dolores. We do have one question, come over here, this side. We have one question oh, from yeah. our audience here in Ziwa for you. Hi, I have a question. Uh, are you aware if the virus has already been isolated or how do you plan to do the sequencing um, if you don't have like this uh, genetic code already? So that's a very good question. Thank you for that. So, you know, there are, you know, lots of PCR tests. And so what deep sequencing is, first of all, the manufacturers provide the primers, which are these um, known sets that are involved in the PCR. So we can use those for the sequencing. But deep sequencing means that 
we will not just be looking for a coronavirus or SARS-CoV-2. We will be looking to see if there are, you know, if what is positive, it could be human DNA that's amplified up. It could be bacterial DNA. You know, nobody knows really how specific are these um, primers at all. Are they just amplifying human DNA? Are they bacterial DNA? Or is it influenza? So we will be doing deep sequencing. And then whatever the products are, we will be blasting them. And I'm very honored to be working with some of the key um, renowned people in the world. And maybe we might not make the information on who's involved, but they are key leaders in the world in uh, PCR and PCR analysis. And we will have the analysis checked as well, potentially on two continents and in three or four countries. Thank you for that. One question from our Telegram. For those who are following, we do have the Greater Reset Activation Telegram channel. Lots of people paying attention there. Uh, someone was just curious, and again, maybe you can't say names, but they were just curious. Are there any doctors that are, that are part of your alliance that you're working with that are going to, I guess, help people who are concerned about, you know, obviously vaccine laws and, and the prevention of travel for uh, in not getting vaccinated? Yeah. So the in the World Freedom Alliance, so the World Doctors Alliance, and we are so we are the World Doctors Alliance is part of the World Freedom Alliance. So it's a focus group and pillar. Um, but we also have a pillar for lawyers in the World Freedom Alliance. And separately, of course, I'm very happy to be in touch with like uh, Reiner Fulmick and Children's Health Defense and Mary Mulholland and uh, Robert Kennedy. So, and in the uh, legal arm of the World Freedom Alliance, we have lots of lawyers who are taking a lot of precedence cases all over the world from Canada, Australia, South America. So there are lawyers there and in individual countries, the lawyers are pushing back on the mass cases and on travel cases. And like Reiner Fulmick has been taking precedence cases and there was a PCR case one in Portugal and Australia uh, or Austria won a constitutional case pushing back on every aspect of the lockdown. So there are lawyers and in the World Freedom Alliance, there is a focus group around where the lawyers all meet. Uh, and also we're working with organizations like ISAFIA as well. So yes, we do have lawyers um, and the uh, Freedom Airways will have access to lawyers as well, particularly in the countries where the flights will be from. And people who sign up as members in the World Freedom Alliance, that is partly what their membership will be doing, is to uh, get the guidance from the lawyers for us to push back and to provide them potentially with a card or travel information to say, you know, I have, I have entitled to freedom of travel, I don't want to wear a mask and that no one can uh, force them to do it. Right on. I have a question here from uh, Facebook. I think that last one was from my good friend Rita, though. I just wanted to shout her out. Her and her husband, Val, are very active in the local Freedom Cell Network. He's been hosting ham radio meetups, which is super cool. So shout out, Rita. Uh, this one comes from Facebook. Does Dolores think they're collating DNA data from PCR? And then here's a related one. Wait, the related one is why do they need to jam it up your head so far? So can you tell us a little about the tests and are they collecting DNA in your opinion? So I don't know, but I do know that there were some regulations months ago to say that they could. I, I don't know. Was that in America where they said originally or maybe it was in the United Kingdom? They said they wouldn't keep the data 
but then that was uh, changed. So um, I would have my suspicions, you know, I would have my suspicions. But of course, uh, for anyone who's in the European Union, as I've been saying on my flights, which actually was not welcome and got me banned from an airline, was that, you know, when they take your health information, they want to see your letter or your exemption letter, that if the airline uh, does not handle that properly, that would be a breach for any airline or any business in the European Union of GDPR, which is up to 20 million per offence or 4% uh, of GDP of the company. So essentially, people could be writing to these diagnostic companies Asking them, we'll say, for example, in the e, in the European Union, how are they treating your data? And because it's health data, if they don't treat it properly, you can uh, just go to the GDPR ombudsman. It doesn't cost any money uh, and challenge them and get them fined uh, up to 20 million. You know, and I think that is why I am encouraging people to actually take those kind of actions. You know, if you're tired of sitting at home, Start writing letters to say I didn't what what happened to the data with my PCR and do a GDPR request. It doesn't cost anything. And then the thing about the um, the the putting it up your nose all the way to your brain, I think, is entirely unnecessary because if the virus was as infectious as it is, you should be able to do it with just a standard mouth um, test. And also, if you want to actually look. Uh, at photographs of how do you vaccinate animals, you can see that they push something right all the way up the nose. And very sadly, there was a case in Ireland of a lady um, who died after the PCR test. She started to get, you know, very bad headaches uh, directly after the test. She had been completely well, and then she died within about four days, uh, having suffered from uh brain, you know, inflammation and headaches. Yeah. So I would say it's entirely unnecessary and I would never get it done. And what I think people just have to say with all these tests and masks and vaccinations is no, just say, no, I do not consent. Um, and then you are forcing the other person or the organization to force something on you. And everybody in a very common sense way knows the difference between right and wrong. And these natural law constitutional law comes from our inalienable rights. You can't be forced to do something. Uh, you have bodily integrity uh, and they cannot do it and it's wrong and people should say no. And I would say as well, if you're listening to this and you're saying I have to take a PCR test to work or to travel, I would say plan to get another job uh, or plan to uh, you know, get in touch with freedom networks like the Freedom Cell Network and the World Freedom Alliance and we have an innovation arm and we want to help people to not be forcibly vaccinated or tested. So make your own job or plan to leave. And I think there are other huge opportunities as well, maybe around autopsy services, right? I know that sounds terrible, but a lot of the issues of people dying is that there is not proper autopsies. And I think there is opportunities for like a HR, you know, recruitment service for companies that will respect people's rights of bodily integrity and not force PCR and not force vaccinate. And of course, in Freedom Airways and every company that uh, and business that I will be associated with, we will be respecting people's rights of bodily integrity. Thank you so much for your time tonight, Dolores. Thank you.
Everybody give it up for her one more time. Okay. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, everyone who sent me kind messages around the world. Absolutely. <laughs> Pleasure. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you. Wow. Well, that was great. Another day, man. Well, thank everybody who's here. Again, everybody who's in person, I really appreciate that. We're going to hang out here for a little while and have some networking. Encourage all of our friends who are here in person in Ziwa to get activated and get connected if you don't know people. Uh, we do want to just, I guess, touch on a few points as we wrap up, John. Uh, I mean, any any afterthoughts just immediately as we're wrapping up here? Yeah, I was watching the comments during the talks, and I think people are really blown away by the caliber of the speakers that we have. And Dolores, she's into so many different initiatives right now, and she's putting her reputation on the line, putting her life on the line, really, with the scale of the stuff she's doing. So I just want people to know that you don't have to look up to people like that. You can be people like that. You just have to step into your power and if enough of us do that, then there's no stopping us. We're going to, we're going to win and freedom is our birthright and, and we just need to take it back. Absolutely. So we got a couple more uh, watch parties. We're going to throw up on screen. One was uh, our friends in Colorado are back at it again. Bruce B. Or no, first, this is some ladies in San Francisco, San Francisco representing it. And uh, right. Colorado again. Yeah. Bruce B. Colorado. Yeah. So just keep sending those photos, keep using the hashtag, the greater reset. We're really just going to turn this into a movement. And, you know, as we said yesterday, and we'll continue to remind you that this week, the, the World Economic Forum is also meeting. This is their virtual week when they would normally be meeting in Davos, Switzerland. But they have announced that they are going to be meeting in person in Japan, May 25th through the 28th. And we're going to do the next greater reset event in May again. And we want you guys to join us. Wherever you're at, whether you come to Mexico, you, you know, organize online, we are going to continue to make this a regular series of events. We don't want this momentum that we're feeling from people all around the world to just dissipate and to you know, go nowhere. We want to turn this into something. And we hope those of you who are here and those of you who are watching online really take this as an opportunity to get involved in the Freedom Cell Network, to check out the work of all the wonderful people who have presented and who will present this week and see how you can really focus on activation. So today we talked about health. We talked about how they're trying to get in the school system. We talked about our spiritual health, emotional health. Uh, you know, we're talking about how to travel, all these different things, health and education. I, I hope everybody will go home tonight and those of you who are here in person will go home and really reflect on what you gained from this and how you can move forward in a new way, not just simply go back to doing the same things before that you were doing before you came here. Yeah. 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 Get pumped up. All right, John, what else, what else before we wrap up? Um, not much else. I'm super excited to be working with you, Derek. You always do such a great job. You're a man of integrity and knowing that the, the enemies of Liberty at the world economic forum have a lot more in store. It really just encourages us to redouble our efforts. So let's, let's turn this into a, a, an international movement. It already is an international movement. Let's build on the momentum. And again, I strongly invite you guys to join the freedom cells network. We've created a platform where people can get involved in their local community and they can do good work and support one another. And really that's what it's all about. John, before we go, I want you and uh, anybody else who's listening around the world and awake. Dolores was up at 3 a.m. And anybody else who can hear my voice in this room, let's do the affirmation together. It's powerful, beautiful, free. All right. So if you guys just join me together as we wrap up for tonight and then we'll exit out of here. 
Let's take a deep breath. John, where you're breathing in Central Texas, let's take a deep breath. I am powerful. I'm powerful. I am beautiful. I'm beautiful. I am free. I'm free. Thank you guys so much. We'll be back tomorrow. As we wake up to a as we wake up to a new normal today and life is slowly grinding to a halt. Now masks are becoming the new normal. Americans are facing a new normal, one that may include losing their jobs, losing their income, and even losing their health insurance. I don't think we get back to normal. I think we get back or we, we, we get to a new normal. It's time to reject the new normal. Now is the historical moments of time not only to fight severe virus, but to shape the system. It's time to reject the Great Reset. It's time to support the People's Reset. It's time for the Greater Reset. From January 25th to the 29th, journalists, activists, researchers, and advocates are hosting the Greater Reset Activation a five-day event dedicated to offering an alternative to the World Economic Forum's top-down, centralized, authoritarian vision. Our desire is to help all people find community and liberty by providing practical steps and knowledge for co-creating a world that respects individual liberty, bodily autonomy, and choice. The Greater Reset is the world's collective response to the World Economic Forum's initiative, The Great Reset. We invite you to join us for five days of discussion about the diverse opportunities available for those who seek to live in harmony with humanity and the planet while respecting our innate freedom. Each day is dedicated to a different domain and provides solutions to the WEF's vision. Day one is dedicated to the Agora and decentralized economics. Tuesday the 26th will focus on health and education. Day three will focus on nature, permaculture, and regenerative agriculture. Thursday the 28th will highlight the liberating side of digital technology, including encryption, blockchain, and decentralized autonomous organizations. On Friday, January 29th, we will end the event by showcasing examples of intentional communities, freedom cells, and community organizing. Don't miss out on this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to hear from some of the most powerful speakers in the world with a focus on solutions. We encourage everyone to organize local watch parties in your area using freedomcells.org. Also, find out more about the Greater Getaway in-person event in Zihuatanejo, Mexico. Visit thegreaterreset.org for more information.